you hear it? Do you hear that bass? Have you been waiting for it all week? Do you know it's time? Wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've decided to join us for DLC, your downloadable commentary for the week, delivered the way we love it to be, and that is completely free, thanks to our sponsors this week, Casper and Mac. Weldon, They're bringing the show to you, DLC, of course, the show all about games and their many forms, games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Canato. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis. The guy who, on this 4th of July week, baby is a firework. Come on, show him what you're worth, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Jeff. Uh, I will. I'll uh, something something Katy Perry. Um, yeah. <laughs> You're coming in a little hot, Christian. You're coming in a little hot. Too loud. Too hot. A little, a little hot. A little hot. Maybe okay. Coming back a little bit. You're good. Okay. You did call him a firework. So. Yeah, I mean, that's true. You did. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a good point. Um, uh, go ahead. I was going to say you have one week to head over to Cotton Bureau and search for play games. Be nice to get your uh, awesome Super Ness inspired ice cream pop T-shirt, where proceeds go to St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Yes, and what a T-shirt it is, man! It looks so cool. Uh, that that designed by our friend JP Kuvert, who uh, knocked it out of the park with a summer styling video gamer T-shirt. Uh, yeah, so good. Yeah, I agree. JP's the best, and uh, I'm really, I'm really happy with it. Uh, go to Cotton Bureau. Play games, be nice. Pick it up. Play games, be nice. Hey, you already heard the third voice in our podcast. You know the DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, oh man, I'm excited because DLC once again stands for Droids Listen to Corey, because from the tiny robot company Anki, and also <laughs> you know him from the Gamers with Jobs conference call podcast. One of our favorite guests, Mr. Corey Banks, is back with us. Hey, Corey. Hey, it's so good to be here. The the robots are listening. That's that's always <laughs> a welcome thought for us, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks for having me. It's it's always kind of nice too when when my name can line up with the whole DLC gimmick too. I I feel that. I feel good. About I that. I definitely prioritize people with names that begin with D, L, or C. So I get that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, Sorry, all the bobs life. in the world. You've been left right. out. Yeah, very few bobs guest on our show. You'll find because uh, <laughs> I am. I'm a lazy man when it comes to my stupid thing that I've made myself do every time. <laughs> anyway, um, we got we got some games to talk about, guys. Uh, it's it's the summer, it's the holiday, it's post E3, but that doesn't mean we're slowing down. We got lots to talk about, so let's get right into it and start the way we always do with story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration by visiting our subreddit, which is 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Community of folks hanging out there, posting stories, talking about the episodes, talking about video games in general. I encourage you to stop by and join the community. Corey, you are our guest. Uh, so you get first pick of stories. Some Offbeat stories, I would say this yeah, week. Yeah, um, you know, I'm real tempted here. You know, it's you know what guest privilege. I'm just going to go ahead and call it Jim Carrey to play Doctor Eggman in Sonic movie might be <laughs> the biggest story of this week, right? Uh, <laughs> this is not false. This is an actual story that happen is happening. This he is not is a in- test. This is this is not putting like this isn't a fake news sort of thing. 
This right. is as verified as you can possibly get yeah. about anything Sonic related. It's not April first. We are we are in the realm of of reportable news, <laughs> and uh, there is, if you have not heard, a new Sonic movie coming. Uh, it is a CGI slash live action film. You know, a sort of a uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit style blending of animation and live action. Which let that sink in for a second, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love um, who, Framed, who Framed Roger Rabbit. I do like that. Sure, yeah, absolutely. It's it's uh, a really popular genre of movie. The whole animated and live action. Yeah, they uh, almost never fail, right? Yeah, you've uh, got you've smurf. got who Framed Roger, who Framed Roger Rabbit. I think Space Jam counts under this. Oh, definitely, sure. Um, was it Garfield like that? I think Garfield was whoa, that way. Whoa, the Smurfs see, just recently. Might be the exception. <laughs> not sure Uh, um so yeah so we're getting that evidently the theatrical release date is november 15th of 2019 so uh, over a year off still from from the the movie that will make all video game movies (laughs) now become uh you know no curse no curse We'll, we'll thwart the curse of the video game movie um and we know already that james marsden who you may know as Cyclops from the X-Men films and he's now in Westworld uh, is starring in the movie. So we got some A-list talent um, and uh, Tika Sumter, who I'm not really sure about. She's from Gossip Girl. Uh, I don't know her, her well, but Waiting for Kristen to jump in. Oh, Gossip Girl. Wait. Yeah. Nothing. No, Christian, no Gossip Girl fan. I liked Gossip Girl. I watched like maybe the first three seasons of it, but I didn't have a, a hot take on how this casting will impact the Sonic film. Sorry. Well, yeah. Okay. So like not, not to just jump in here, but like, can we all just disclose for a moment? How familiar are all of us here with the Sonic canon? The lore, the rich yeah. tapestry of narrative behind yeah. all of the Sonic games. Um, I know that he runs through rings and he's got himself a friend named Tails. True. And we also know that his evil nemesis is Dr. Evo Eggman Robotnik. Uh, and that's really where our news is, is centered on here. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Evo Eggman Robotnik. Uh, the, the, the offer is out to Jim Carrey. We don't know. He has not confirmed that Jim Carrey will be playing that. But my question to you, Corey, is yeah. does this elevate this project into something that you are now – anxious to see come to fruition absolutely not not one, <laughs> all, not one bit i am interested to hear what's going to happen with jim carrey taking this role because like didn't he retire from acting yeah he's a painter now he's uh yeah. he's a painter pretty sure i saw him hanging out with like jerry seinfeld getting coffee and yes and, but yeah. but Corey, when a role this juicy this coveted comes along you don't so, stay retired. No, so so let's let's unpack this for a second, right? He's <laughs> retired. Jim Carrey has made all the money that he honestly needs. He's he's like trying to find inner peace and outer peace. He's yeah. he's gone pretty hippie now. But someone came to him and said, "You know, we have this really interesting role in a live action hybrid CGI film based on a video game character." And he's like, "Oh, that sounds kind of interesting." And they're like, and they said, "But it's Sonic the Hedgehog." And you got to imagine his eyebrows just like shot up off of his head. And was, like, because it's Jim Carrey, those eyebrows really shot up. Do you mean the hedgehog? <laughs> do you mean the mascot of Sega? <laughs> Go on, sir. Go right on. Uh, I, I I mean, actually, this is this. No, I would not actually go to the theater to see this, but I would definitely 
definitely drink exactly two beers and watch this on Netflix. So I <laughs> hope this happens and I hope that he actually plays this role. But I, I'm a little afraid, to be honest, of all of the deep lore that's associated with Sonic. I, I have a, a friend who, who loves to, to kind of give me all the details and it's, it's shocking how much is there and shocking how much I have still to learn. About <laughs> it's true. Everybody so involved in the world of Sonic and Tails. <laughs> my, here's my biggest fear about about this news. We, it is not clear in any of the reporting on this film as of yet what part of this movie is CG and what part is live action. Oh, I think that's there, pretty clear. There's Honestly, a pretty there's clear. a possibility that Jim Carrey is only supplying the voice. Sonic is going to be the real life version, and Jim Carrey <laughs> is going to be CGI animated. Obviously, there's yeah, gonna be a little getting... hedgehog running around the set. They've trained six hundred hedgehogs and painted them all blue. <laughs> uh, Christian, what is your take on uh, on the potential of of the one and only Mr. Jim Carrey? I kind of actually think that this. This does make me pay more attention to this project, honestly. I feel like if there's a potential for really great talent to be drawn to this, maybe it's not drivel? I mean, I think he could knock it out of the park, whether he's just doing the voice or not, or, you know, a half suit or like his head poking out of a weird suit with like a funny mustache. I mean, he's the Grinch and um, the mask. The mask. And he's got great voices. He's very expressive with his face. Um, You know, even if it is just a paycheck for him, I I think he's very capable of knocking this role out of the park and hopefully he does it well. And I think if you had asked like, I don't know, five years ago or whatever it was, like, hey, they're going to make a feature film about Lego Batman. And he would be like, yeah, okay, cool. And it's incredible, right? It's it's And Will Arnett's going to be Batman. What? No. The guy from Arrested Development? Yeah. It's going to be Batman. No, that's not going to be good. And it's really good. So, you know, let's wait until the red sneaks hit the pavement and then and then judge it. I do – I mean, there's precedent for Alvin and the Chipmunks and Smurfs, and there's certainly a, a long line of bad blended movies in this way. But there's also a long line of bad live-action <laughs> movies and bad animated movies, and there's just a lot of bad movies. You know, it doesn't mean this one's going to be bad. Well, though. you're you, the, also the movies that you were pointing out are all very much trying to take an older child's property and and reboot it and revamp it and kind of introduce it to a new children's audience. This will already have a built-in audience of like diehard Sonic fans, of which there are a lot. Like. Maybe not necessarily like a huge sizable population that's going to make this the number one movie in America, but that's it's it has at least a draw there. So, and, and I also I don't I can't I'm okay. First off, I'm still wrapping my head around James Marsden being a part of this because you've got to imagine he's got all kinds of clout for Westworld. So maybe he's actually like the the huge like Sonic Mark. Maybe he's the one who like wants to get in with with Sega and like find out all of the lore details. But yeah, but also like Jim Carrey, he probably doesn't need the money, right? I don't feel like he does, right? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's a really maybe it's a cracking script. Uh, It's it's we should note also it's going to be directed by Jeff Fowler, uh, and it will be his first feature. He has won the Academy Award for Best Animated Short, but this will be his first feature length film. Uh, So we don't really know much about him and what he's capable of other than he has uh really great animated shorts i'm i'm you still know. confused on if the character is dr robotnik or dr eggman though 
Yeah. Uh, evidently, I didn't know his first name was Evo, so I guess I don't know much about Sonic. I, I guess I'm, I'm not a real fan. I'm five seconds away from Googling this, and I need someone to stop me. America versus Japan, I believe, is the short answer. Uh, and it's kind of localization like uh, 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 Barlock. Bar- Barrog, I can't now. I, now I confuse Corey Barlog with M Bison and, yeah. and Balrog is what you're talking. Yeah, about. yeah, right. yeah. There we yeah. go. Okay, not the director of God of War Four, the the boss from Street Fighter. Though <laughs> so we should put him in Street Fighter Six. To be fair, he'd be great. He'd be great. I think, by the way, how ridiculous is that? His name is literally Mike Ty- Mike Bison because he looks like Mike Tyson, and they're like, let's just put them on a different character. No one will know. Early '90s <laughs> Japan did not care. They cur- did current current day epic doesn't care. That's fair. Like go play Fortnite. The John Wick skin. No, he's the assassin. Uh, that's yeah. John Valor. You mean Wonder Woman? No, <laughs> we mean Valor. Yeah. Oh, look, that looks like Thanos. Oh, that's Thanos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we paid for that one. <laughs> uh, well, well, it remains to be seen. Tune in November fifteenth, twenty nineteen, when uh, the Sonic it, it movie already has a date. Yeah. It, it, it's still casting, but it already has a date. This is why I don't belong in Hollywood at all. I mean, this <laughs> and many other reasons, but. Christian, do you have a story of the week? I'm going to keep it Hollywood, baby. Yeah. Put on those sunglasses and start drinking during the day because the Halo <laughs> TV show, not the Halo TV show, a Halo TV show. Another Halo TV <laughs> the, the current Halo TV. It's coming to Showtime. It looks like it's a, a real, a very real thing. The first season will be 10 episodes. Um, um, it's not, I don't know. Is it still Steven Spielberg? I don't think it's, it's Amblin. So it's, it's, it's they're producing it, Amblin, but he's yeah. not directing it. Well, he was never going to direct it, but he was going to be executive producing it. And now he's no longer even doing that. Oh, okay. So, yeah. He okay. was never going to direct it. Um, he was going to executive produce it when, um, what's his name? Uh, what's the guy's name? Oh, oh. Rupert Wyatt. No. That's you have in the doc. So that's what I'm trying to help with. No, no. Uh, originally, it was going to be... Um, the guy who district... did Chappie? Yeah, yeah. District... Uh, district 9. 9. District 12. Yeah. What's his name? I can't think of his name. Anyway. Uh, he, he was he was uh, the Lord of the Rings guy. Peter Jackson's, like... Uh, protege. Yeah. Protege, yeah. Anyway, that was going to be the director, and then that didn't happen. And, you know, it's still been, I guess, still been languishing in development hell. But now it's actually happening because... All of these companies uh, need content, and geek content is king, and so why not? So now Showtime is going to get ten episodes of this bad boy. Neil Blomkamp, Blom, Blom, yeah, Neil Blomkamp, yeah, yes, very well. Um, um, so Christian, what do you, what do you, what do you think about this? Are you excited about the Halo TV show coming to Showtime? Showtime got some good shows. Showtime has some very good shows. Um, the I was not a fan of the Machinima Halo series. I, I, it wasn't awful, but I didn't think it was great um, in terms of things that are on screen. But I've read a couple of the Halo novels. I, I couldn't pass a test on any of them because by read, I mean listened to while commuting. And I found them enjoyable. I've liked the larger lore of the Halo games. There certainly is a lot to tell. I think this series would probably do best if it stays away from master chief as much as that will probably annoy people but i think if it's like master chief story do they show john's face you know you get into these weird things of of how you handle such an iconic character so i'd love it if it's like he's a legend or a myth or or something and you you get to actually focus on people like i don't want to know 
how how John one one seven got his last name. You know, I don't. It's like I don't want to. I don't want to get into that part of the character, but I think there's certainly room in this world for a fascinating and rich story. I'm I'm excited, Corey. Are you re-upping for Showtime for this? Uh, I mean, we'll see. We'll definitely see. I I mean, it's I'm closer to watching this than I am the Sonic movie, to be honest. And I think hmm. and I think you are absolutely right that we don't need to necessarily fold in the main characters immediately or make them the protagonists like which what, was it halo odst that had just kind of all the squatties that actually had yeah. like amazing character development and and cross dialogue between the characters and stuff like if we see some of that i'd be pretty interested um i also th- you know i'm not also a, a big lore fan for halo itself but i could see this being really entertaining on a streaming service so i could get excited about this I just want to know which character Jim Carrey is going to play because well, he's going to play Dr. Robotnik in the crossover. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I love it. See, uh, cause they're, they're two video game properties. And so it's really easy. I mean, you can, <laughs> you could say, guys, I don't, I don't understand the dismissiveness. I really don't. Can I, I don't can get I, it. Can I tell you, uh, my, my take on this, honestly, with, with halo is, um, I know I'm going to get a lot of angry mail from Halo fans because there are a lot of people who are super into that lore, and I'm not. I don't. I haven't read any of the novels. I don't know the deep lore. I've played all the games and paid attention as, as best I can. But uh, I think one of the problems that Machinima ran into, and really I think anybody would will run into uh, without a Master Chief involved, is it's just Space War. It's just a Space War show. And there's been a lot of Space War shows, and ultimately – it's hard to make a space war show that doesn't feel like every other space war show. And I, I'm, I'm yeah. trying to think of how, like, in a, well, maybe uh, making the covenant a bigger part of it. Um, maybe making it uh, about this infestation of the flood. Yeah. I know the machinima show dealt with the flood quite a bit. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know how you make this feel when you take it into the medium of real human beings, uh, with armor on and stuff it just kind of feels like starship troopers you know what i mean yeah Um, but how bad would it be to watch a season of a well-done starship troopers on showtime like like i I think you actually get a i i agree with you there are a lot of like space war shows but if you get something with the halo name attached that is somewhat decent of a space war show and it has the clout to being on showtime it has some budget behind it I, th- I think those are all recipes for exactly what you said. Like genre television is what's, what's what's holding people's attention on these streaming services now. So that's pretty compelling genre entertainment there. You're right. And, and the, the way in which these shows are handled now and the uh, amount of uh, a bet that these, these networks place on shows like this um, has me encouraged. If they, if they want this to be their game of Thrones or whatever, and they'll, you know, or their Westworld or, or their, the expanse, you know, the expanse obviously yeah. didn't do well enough to even stay on the network it started on. But, um, I thought it was a well-made show. And if, if, you know, if it is handled with that kind of care and attention to detail and just made into a rockin' space war show, it'll have, it'll maybe could be good. It could be good, but I, I don't know, like tanks and Jeeps and space pistols and space, uh, rifles and stuff. Without that sort of iconic Master Chief thing, feels it feels very generic, and I think that's what the Machinima show felt to me. It, was, it felt very much like generic space war yeah. instead of something that 
mattered because it was based on a known IP. I think I think I, you just I think you, oh, get, ahead, I think you get that from including the covenant and then also the flood as like a third factor that nobody understands or can control. That that's kind of where yeah. the horror element comes. I th- right. and not to put words in Christian's mouth, but I think what's really important to him is that it's not the master chief. You can definitely have like some Spartans in there if you need it. But like yeah. the the thing that keeps Halo as a game series interesting is that you play as master chief and any other side content around that like it really needs to be careful about how much it divulges about that character well so here's another thing i did speak a lot for christian there i'm really sorry about that (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i well the thing that works in video games the thing that made master chief catch on and click with so many people is because his helmet looks real cool Mm-hmm. His helmet looks super cool, right? The thing that works in a live action environment is get the actors out of the helmets as often as possible. You know what I mean? Um, it, it's I, I know Iron Man has shown a way to do it, and there are other things where you can still create the cool guy behind a helmet, uh, and we still know what's happening inside the helmet, and we see facial expressions and stuff. There are ways to get around it, but I think they're at cross purposes a bit in – What's so cool about the Spartans and the ODST and all that is they're rad helmets and they're, you know, they're awesome. They're iconic big armor, look. the armor that keeps the, the actor from actually doing any emoting. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. So I, I don't know. I have my doubts as to how this can be pulled off, but I hope I'm wrong. I would love to love a Halo show. Um, Christian, what were you going to say? I'm sorry I interrupted you. Oh, no, I was going to say, like, talking back to, like, avoiding iconic characters or just Space Wars, feeling like Space Wars, I feel like there are three shows that are vastly different Space Wars shows that are all interesting that have existed, and it's because they focused on people and on story the way great story does, right? If you take Battlestar or Firefly or Star Wars Rebels, and Star Wars Rebels, which I know is animated, but here's a show that didn't start pulling in the well-known characters for cameos or arcs until it had established its core group of characters. And it started, you know, it didn't launch with Obi-Wan or any of these characters to like get people into the show. It launched with this whole new crew and they're out doing the things that they're doing. And it was living in this larger world that you knew. And it was very exciting. So I think there's plenty of room in the Halo universe for that to happen. And whether or not it's the origin of the flood or, some other thing that we don't even know about. Like why, what happened? Like, is it humans fighting humans, you know, a millennia ago that led to their current status of them floating around different planets, blah, 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 blah. And I do think there's ways to work around the helmet moment to moment interactions. Like they put the helmets on when they're out battling and then every other moment they don't have their helmet on. Right. So like any war scene, they're helmeted like a stormtrooper would be. And then when they're back at barracks or talking or, West winging or, you know, whatever the drama is going to be of the episode, they're all out of their helmets and we get to see those expressions. Oh my God. I'm excited. I want to walk and talk with someone in the Spartan armor and they're just stomping the entire time. <laughs> it's called a loading screen, Corey. We have tons of them. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah. But so that actually leads me to, you asked why, why um, Jeff and I are being kind of down on this. And Jeff, do you, do you kind of feel like video games like this should become TV shows and other properties? Because I'm a little conflicted well, about this. I I am also conflicted. I, I feel like there's no reason that the IP that I love in this format can't live in another format successfully. I mean, I think for the longest time, comic book movies had the stigma that video game movies have now, which is that there was all, they were always going to be bad. And, oh, my God, it's made based on a comic book. So it's 
by, by definition garbage. And then that changed. And now the best movies, the movies I enjoy most in the summertime are based on these obscure uh, comic book characters. Mm -hmm. Um, So somebody has to crack the nut. It just, it just, um, I haven't seen it happen yet. And I keep getting lured into a sense of, of optimism. You know, I was so excited about the Assassin's Creed movie because it had Michael Fassbender and it felt like it was coming from this pedigree of really top notch talent. And it just stank the joint up. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's like fool me 27 times, you know, shame on me, I guess. Mm. Yeah. I couldn't have said it better myself. (laughs) <laughs> but I'm hopeful. I, I think ultimately for a Halo show, if, if I was sort of, you know, it, it behind the scenes in some way and, and, and giving my advice, I would say the iconic thing, yes, the helmets, and yes, Christian's plan of sort of uh, having the battles be helmeted, I think is a strong choice. But I also think the iconic thing that, that, that you can actually get the most mileage out of from the Halo universe in a TV show is the Halos themselves. Mm-hmm. Like the mate, I think that is what could make the show stand out is that it takes place on a planet that's shaped like a ring. I think that, and and that imagery uh, in live action could be really powerful and really interesting. And the ramifications of how that planet works, all that stuff sounds kind of cool. So I just need to score every two minutes and I'll be like, this is so good. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Oh man, this show isn't great. I hate, uh, oh, this show's great. I love this show. Well, that's a big question, right? Because they didn't have a big falling out with the composer. So I don't know. I, I heard a rumor they're bringing him back. Oh, is that so? But I, I mean, I saw it on Reddit. So who knows how true it is? But... I heard that Jim Carrey is playing the composer. <laughs> Jim Carrey <laughs> is playing Dr. Robotnik, who's playing the composer of the Halo series. <laughs> there's your there's your friggin' crossover right there. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> um, so how about some real news? We're talking about we've talked a lot about Hollywood, and I, I think that's interesting. And but you know, let's stay with uh, people who aren't usually involved in video games <laughs> getting involved in the video game world. This is sort of rumor territory, but it, it's certainly um, adding up based on all of the information about it uh, to being something real that seems to be happening and could have a huge impact on the entire industry. So there have been reports lately, and a, a new article this week about them. Uh, that Google, of all people, is looking to enter the video game space in a huge way very soon. Evidently, Google had a bunch of meetings at GDC and E3 this year, talking with lots of gaming companies and developers about their entry into the video game market uh, in a hardware sense. And the idea here is something we've talked about a lot. Christian has advocated for this future uh, over and over and over. And recently, coming out of E3, we heard that EA and Microsoft both have streaming services that they're building. But Google seems to want to do this uh, in a huge way and make uh, a, a play for your living room, a play for your video game entertainment time by uh, just streaming video games to you you never have to run them locally. It's all done in the cloud. It's all played uh, on remote servers that have really beefy video processors, etc., to create the highest end games and effectively Netflix them to you where you're just getting the, the uh, frames as computed remotely broadcast to your computer or your, excuse me, your like home box, whatever thing that Google will sell you. So, 
obviously we talked about Microsoft wanting to do this. We talked about EA wanting to do this. There is a push to do this. Uh, Sony is already doing this with PlayStation now. Um, it's, it's happening. Corey, my question to you is if Google gets into this action, how much of a disruption do you think that can be? And could you envision a world in which uh, Google actually creates that one console future where it kind of doesn't even matter what system it's made for? Google's just going to stream it to you. I don't know which question to address first. The, the last one of the one console future I don't buy yet um, because I, I think the, the problem with the, the thing with this rumor that, that bugs me isn't so much the streaming side of it, because that's definitely an area where everybody wants to go. It's unfortunate the tech isn't quite there yet, but everybody wants to move that kind of processing to the cloud. So it would make sense that, that Google would want to start playing with this in a real way too. But they, I, I can't see them making a whole new hardware line for this. Like when it would be so easy for them to tie this to the smart home equipment that they already have out, like Chromecast, hmm. Google Home, like adding just another product, another hardware product line into the mix feels like it gets confusing for Google long before it gets confusing before consumers. So but they don't seem to care about that. They, they poop out different weird, like I mean, experimental uh, hardware things and then forget about them two years later. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't, I don't, I'm sure Google is looking into this. I'm sure they've been looking into it for a while. I, I question whether they were meeting with developers at GDC and E3 and actually saying this was that they were going to get it in a big way and make a whole new platform. Because I, I just, I think it's, it's more aligned with what Google would want to do to, get these companies using their cloud services to, to push the streaming much more so than Google owning the entire ecosystem. Well, so to just uh, connect the dots that, that uh, are outlined in the latest bit of reporting, evidently this platform is codenamed Yeti mm -hmm. and has been around since February. And um, supposedly it, um, it will, let you it will play uh, you know high end PC type games uh, in the cloud and then the lower end hardware that you actually own super cheap uh, you know the Google Chrome approach where you have this you know nominally expensive thing this dongle that you attach to your television uh, one would assume it also has a controller although that hasn't been confirmed um, and that the other of course big piece of the puzzle here is that Google hired Phil Harrison. Mm -hmm who you may remember from Sony and before that uh, uh, Atari and uh, other, other places. So he's a big, you know, video game industry veteran. Don't know exactly what position he was hired to fill, but it certainly seems like they would use an in industry, uh, a video game industry guy to do video game industry stuff. So I don't know, uh, Christian, I know this has been your bailiwick for quite a while. You are uh, all over this. You you wanted the Netflix for video games and have been predicting it for years now. Uh, so what do you what do you make of Google being the people that provide your future? I think they certainly could do it. My my concern with Google is what you brought up, Jeff, is just their their track record with hardware or even software. Because when they say a platform, you know, or, or um, yeah, a platform, we might assume it's like a console platform. But do they consider Google Wave a platform? You know, like that was never a device I bought. It was a thing that ran on a browser that they were servicing from the back end. So 
who who knows what version of what they're actually considering in terms of a box that you own. It might already be like Corey said, one of the things that they've already it might work through a Chromecast or something like that. I don't know. I don't know if that those devices could handle um, what they're trying to do with this. But you look back at Google's track record and Google Wave, um, Google Glass, their phones. They haven't stuck with one thing for a very long time. I think Pixel, they're on the Pixel 2 now. Even Chromebooks have have changed pretty substantially in terms of what they were meant to be and what they are and what the specs are for um, PC makers that were making them, their hardware partners. So I'm just not sure if Google is, or their parent company, ABC, is in, or Alphabet, I guess, is in it for the long game in the same way that like they need it to be a hit right for their company to, to succeed. You could have said in it to win it. Right sorry uh, jeff jeff uh let's get an edit point take yeah. it back uh just go back to the song i want to do that robotnik uh jim carrey stuff and i felt i'm a little sleepy i apologize uh, I, I, I totally agree with what you're saying though christian yeah that's that that's the concern but do they have the the engineering talent to possibly handle this do they have cloud infrastructure building across the country to maybe deal with the latency problem or what i predict as everybody likes to yell latency would never cure for latency um i I don't i don't know how you do this i'm not smart enough but i think the cure for latency to some extent is uh machine learning where you're actually not playing the game as much as you think you are because the computer is predicting what you're going to do so it's already loading what the most probable action is going to be so it's not actually waiting for you to do it. So then when you do it, it knows that's what you're doing. It's going to be weird and creepy when like machine learning gets there. But I think that's, know that's the... how Madden works now. Yeah, it's how, Is it? it's how almost all online games work now. Uh, oh, well, man. But, but Madden in particular, like even when it was just an offline game, it was about influencing the simulation. You know what's even creepier, so, guys? And not to... The machines have been here forever. Not to... They knew I was going to say that. <laughs> not, to even, not to go on a huge tangent, but there's more and more... Uh, information leading us to believe that's how humans work. Like yeah. we actually are predictive and correcting. Like we, uh, there's a lot of stuff about how the brain, I, we have concerns ended. So now it's the only place I have to talk about this stuff. Um, <laughs> the brain, the brain uh, predicts things and then corrects. That's how it, it's not, you're not actually living in a reality that you perceive. You're living in a reality you think you're perceiving. And then your brain goes, yep, that was right. Or nope, that was wrong. It's crazy. Anyway, so, yeah, uh, so I, I think this is cool. And I think it's interesting. I think there are still a lot of problems to solve with streaming games to to just kind of dumb devices in a home. Right. But it's like Valve wanted to do it with in home streaming and Steam Link was developed as like something you could plug into any screen and, and make this happen. I know all of the big tech companies are working on it and it's there is definitely a future that's not too far away where instead of processing everything off of some big heat generating machine in our home it's being processed in a in a server room somewhere and processed in the cloud or, or whatever well let me ask you but, a different question then Corey. do you want this uh mostly i mean i'm i'm really not against it i think it when you especially when you're at a when you're at a level where we have great internet service throughout you know, the country and even internationally, right? Because I think that's really the big problem right now is just the state of ISPs, uh, the state of net neutrality is something to consider in, in, a, in a situation like this. But like, if we can make that the great, the great democratizer, like four games, so everybody has a good connection and nobody has to worry about what video card they're running on, then we get closer to this idea that maybe everything that we're playing is just about skill. Yeah. And that's kind of interesting when you think about it for like esports and stuff. 
Um, there's a part of a PC gamer nerd in me, you know, my, I go back to my managing editor of PC gamer days where I'm like, no, I want to build my own machine right. and I want to, I want to water cool it with Mountain Dew and I want to <laughs> like hang it from the ceiling and I want to make sure that it's processing every bit imaginable. Right. But I can, I can also see a future where I let go of that kind of control freak tendency. Corey, what if I told you the server room is being water cooled by Code Red? Are you Take on board? Take me there. Take me there, and I want to see. It. If it's not, if there, I'm going to count every RGB light that I see in that server room, <laughs> and if there are not enough, I'm calling Corsair immediately. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I also think the the reduction in entry level price point for just being a gamer. Uh, yeah. will be will, will, could potentially be huge and people already want to game on any device they want so why not stream it to whatever device they want and if you you know if it if it's if it's basically a chromecast style like 35 dollar 35 bucks get you in instead of you know 400 500 for an xbox or playstation at, at launch that could be a huge democratizer as well i mean that's that would be a big sea change in how video games are played and I'm with you, man. I, I'm old school enough that like, I, I like the hot rod nature of it. I want, I want mm-hmm. all of it to be happening right in front of me and I want to see it rendered and do it all right there. But I also remember people saying that about movies and saying, Oh, we, it'll be lossy when you stream it. And I, why I have this disc and it's so pristine and lossless and perfect here. Yeah. Why would I want it to be streamed? And now I just don't even, I want it all streamed. I don't want to own any disc of anything. <laughs> so. Yeah. I mean, it, it took us what ten years to get there. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. think about how fast this could happen. Imagine. Uh, I'm not a. I'm not a developer. But imagine what happens to game development when they have to worry a lot less about each bespoke machine build that you have, right. and they can focus more on like here's how the here's how Google's render farm is going to handle this versus the the server farm in Redmond at Microsoft and like Amazon in the mix of this. Like when you start dealing with the smaller or not smaller, but like a fewer number of providers and you can just be like, okay, this is going to run really well. Cause they're going to handle the processing part of that. Right now we can put all of our attention on the design of the game, the art assets of the game, not just optimizing, you know, frostbite for every single build under the sun. Right. Right. Well, it remains to be seen. Um, I'm sure Jim Carrey will be involved in some way. <laughs> Uh, all right, um, let's move on. I want to thank our first sponsor, which is Casper. Oh my goodness, Casper. Casper is uh, a sleep brand that makes expertly designed products to help you get your best rest one night at a time. You've heard me talk about their mattresses. That's because I got one of their mattresses. Uh, came in a really awesome little like compressed box, the cylinder that showed up at my house in a really cool way. I popped it open with the enclosed little knifey doodad. And then it expanded like magic in my house. I didn't have to go to a big box store. I didn't have to talk to a pushy sales up person. I didn't have to lay on a mattress for 14 seconds and decide whether I was going to spend thousands of dollars on it. No, no, no. I got it sent to my house. I just did a couple of clicks. It was less expensive because they cut out the middleman. I got it sent to my house. I got to sleep on it for up to a hundred nights before I made my decision. If I didn't want it, they would have come to my house, taken it away, just taken it away and given me my money back. Uh, couldn't have been easier. Couldn't have been less stress, less hassle. Casper makes it super easy, but also you've heard me talk about those mattresses, but have you heard me talk about other things that Casper has? They had pillows and sheets and all kinds of crazy stuff, all designed to make you sleep better. 
Uh, Casper's mattress combines multiple supportive memory phones for quality sleep surface with the right amount of both sink and bounce. They got over 20,000 reviews with an average of 4.8 stars across Casper, Amazon, and Google. They're becoming the internet's favorite mattress. They also have two other mattresses, the Wave and the Essential. The Wave uh, features a patent-pending premium support system to mirror the natural shape of your body. And the Essential has a streamlined design at a price that won't keep you up at night. This is the way to get good night's sleep. And chances are you haven't uh, replaced your mattress. If you're like me, that is. (laughs) Man, I went way too long before I replaced my mattress. Understand how much that can impact your day-to-day. Understand how much that can improve your sleep. And don't worry about it. You know, we got 4th of July weekend. We got Memorial Day. We got Labor Day. It's the tis the season for all these big sleep brands to, to say, come into the store. We got sales. Casper is going to be less expensive right off the top, even with these crazy, weird holiday deals. And you're not going to have to deal with all the garbage that it requires when you walk into the store. Plus, plus, you can get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash DLC and using promo code DLC at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. But upgrade your sleep. Get $50 off by going to casper.com, C-A-S-P-E-R.com slash DLC and using DLC at checkout. Time to talk about the games we have been playing. And, you know, it's summer. It's lovely out. The weather has turned to a bright sunshine. And uh, why stay cooped up inside playing video games when you could be outside playing video games with that Nintendo Switch? And I know we've all been playing a lot of Nintendo Switch lately. (laughs) Corey, uh, there is a game that a lot of people have been buzzing about. I haven't yet to try it, but I know you have been playing Hollow Knight on your Switch. Yes. Uh, is it not a not a great game to play outside? No, why is that? Well, just because it's very dark. It's very like everything is kind of gloomy and like mm, hollow. There's a lot of black in the game, and so you end up with a lot of glare mm, on your okay. switch screen. All so, right, stay inside, stay close, indoors. Turn out of God, out get the away sun. from the sun. Yes, yes. <laughs> but yeah, I am playing Hollow Knight on the Switch, and it is uh, it is really pretty amazing. Uh, this is a Metroidvania made by a small group out of Australia who I didn't do my research for. So I'm just going to quickly vamp while I look this up. No one's noticing. noticing. Team Cherry. Team Cherry. uh, And they are doing very, very well on the Switch. Apparently they've sold like 250,000 copies on the Switch already. And it's been out like two weeks or something. Um, This has been out on the PC for a while. They have a whole bunch of DLC as well. It is a Metroidvania with kind of a gloomy dark souls like theme and uh, a little bit some of the mechanics kind of feel dark souls like as well there's a, a, a when you die when you get killed in the game you leave behind this like dark phantom force thing a shade i think it's called and then you have to make the corpse run back to that shade uh to to defeat it and and get all of your money back um so that's very dark souls like and it's a pretty challenging game i actually spent the first couple of hours not enjoying it because it's very it's got you locked down. You you don't have a lot of abilities or movement uh, powers or anything. You're just kind of hitting things and jumping around. Uh, and it's, it felt a little basic. And I, I, I didn't get for the first couple of hours why anybody was raving about this. 
And then I beat the first couple of bosses. I explored around a whole lot more and realized just how massive this game is and how it lends that, that aura of like, you want to explore the place and learn more about it. And the lore is kind of interesting, but also cryptic kind of like dark souls. Uh, it's, it's a really, really masterfully done Metroidvania. And I'm about 15 hours in. I actually had to like force myself to put the switch down to come here and do this. Wow. It's, it's really, really something. Now, the last time I was on DLC, uh, Christian talked me into getting the new Metroid game that was out on 3DS. And so I feel like every time I, I, I get the honor of joining DLC, I need to talk about a Metroidvania now. Um, <laughs> well, this, this does is sound, my new thing. It sounds like a, a game that, Christian, you would love to me. Are you, are you itching to play Hollow Knight? I've I played it some on uh, on PC. Um, I haven't taken the plunge on Switch yet, but I've heard. I mean, it's clear. Not clearly. It's. A, I would love to play it on Switch. I think the console lends itself so well to the style of game. I think the reason I didn't play more of it on PC was just my PCs in my office and like going sitting down. To comp- it's just like t- takes work, <laughs> as lame as that sounds. Um, but yeah, it's it's really well made, and I've heard the DLC and stuff they've added has only been better. So it's a lot I, of I think it's easy to recommend. TV. So it's it's very it's gorgeous when you see it, and everything's kind of a bug. You're you're like exploring this old civilization of bugs, basically. So a lot of like beetles and and flying bugs and things like that. But it, it's cutesy without being cutesy, which is kind of a, a weird way of describing it. But like you even you even see a couple of screenshots, and you go, oh, I I immediately get the aesthetic that this game is going for, uh, and then just the sheer amount of wonderful joyful exploration in this game there's so much to to discover the the audio alone in the game because it has a beautiful soundtrack but the the way that team cherry uses sound cues to help you figure out when a mon- when an enemy is going to attack or if there's something hidden that you need to search around for or maybe if i break through this floor or this wall i'll open up this gigantic other area that i didn't even know existed um it's it rewards a lot of patience and a lot of like putting yourself into the experience Hmm. it's been a while since i've been over the moon about a game like this to be honest yeah i've heard nothing but really uh you know high praise uh for this game first couple of hours are rough honestly Hmm. because you don't you don't unlock any of there's a dashing mechanic that's in the game uh there's some like double jumping stuff later on um kind of like bash down moves and like all the wall jumping and all that stuff you unlock as you play. So when you first start playing, you feel really limited and it's not until you get, you can actually start hopping up walls that you kind of realize just how much there is to do. And you start feeling a bit more powerful. Hmm. It's a really hard game too. I should, I mean, people are going to send in notes and be like, it's not hard. You're just a bad gamer. Get good. But like, it's, it is, it's punishing in that dark souls way as well, where like you have to pay attention to repetition. You can't force yourself to just fly through an area, especially if you're doing like a corpse run, you have to take your time. You have to, you know, take the steps that you need to take and not rush yourself or you will get punished. Is there something about playing these kinds of games on switch that makes them better? I think so. I I mean, I I think the Metrovania genre is definitely built for the switch. Yeah. Or the switch is built for that genre. I haven't played dead cells yet on pc so and it's specifically because i'm i'm waiting for it to come out on switch yeah yeah it's, it just seems like the match made in heaven this console these kinds of games and, and the fact that and i couldn't tell you why <laughs> i mean I, I i'm really 
I, I, Christian, to your point, like I also didn't want to just sit at my computer and, and play this. There was something about it that made me feel like, well, I want to sit on a couch and I want to have it on the big screen or I want to be able to pick it up and take it with me on my commute or something. And so like when I, when I heard that it was coming to the switch, I held off for, I think for similar reasons for you, but as, as you have, but there's, there's something about this platform that really like SteamWorld Dig 2 was amazing on yeah. this too. And I'm sure it's great on PC, but I wanted to play it on the Switch. Yeah. I can't wrap my head around what it is about the Switch that makes it so great. I think it's just the pickup and playability of it and that, you know, other consoles certainly have a sleep mode as well, but you know, if you don't even have to turn on a TV. You can literally just pick the thing up out of the dock or wherever you have, turn it on and you're playing in no time because it doesn't have the best D-pad um, in handheld mode, but it's still, it's just so simple. And I think to some extent, because there's not Netflix or all this other stuff you can really do on it, it's a very focused device that also sure. lends itself to being put down quickly if, if the need arises. And again, it goes to sleep right where you were and you jump right back in and you don't have to worry about Oh, I'm using it to watch Netflix now. And where was I? What was I doing? And it's 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 so simple and so pure, um, which is a detriment in other areas, of course, as well. But I think for that style of game, it, it really suits it. Yeah, I think that's you hit the nail on the head. Three buttons, three button presses, and you're back in the game. It's it's huge with games like this where you can be like, oh, I'm just burnt out. I now I'm going to jump back and oh, I can play it for 15 minutes. What it's Kudos to them for coming up with a, a way to make the switch so easy to pick up and put down. Uh, and and maybe there's some sort of like parallel there with we were talking about streaming games and how easy that should be for us as a consumer. Right? Like maybe we're kind of being trained by Nintendo to think in those ways. Right? Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, if if streaming becomes as easy to to pop on as that, and switching between games is easier because you don't have to switch discs or whatever. I mean, we're already in a download future. But even, but- like imagine switching between devices, right? Like yeah. you're playing on your switch and suddenly you, you want to throw it on a big screen so everybody else can see it. So you just drop that tablet down in the dock right. and away you go. Like that would be the dream for streaming games too. So true. So true. Uh, Christian, you've been playing a bunch of switch this week as well. Some switch. I'll start with the one that was just the demo that everybody had the opportunity to play. I played it on Wii U as well, but I wanted to see it running on my switch and it's captain toads treasure tracker, which I believe is coming out at for 40 bucks here um, this month. Now that we're in July and I, I, I still really love this game. It started off as kind of bonus levels and super Mario 3d world. I believe um, the Wii U Mario game. And then it kind of spun off to become its own little game little game with puzzles and and now they're bringing it over to the 3ds and the switch and to me it scratches a lot of itches i've I've liked this kind of game for a long time i remember being very excited about echo chrome when it was coming out to the psp and it was kind of this um i just lost the yes thank you escher-esque world where you're turning the environment to line things up to make sure you can get to the you know solve these puzzles and treasure tracker is, is very much that it's not playing with perspective the way an Escher drawing or painting would, but you're spinning the world and the map and finding new areas where you maybe didn't think you could go. And it's, he's very slow, but it's just so cute and so bright and so cheery. And again, fits the switch really well. The reason I think I didn't spend more time with it on the Wii U is that that console just wasn't a joy to hold. (laughs) Like if you're holding the tablet or if you had the pro controller or whatever, it just something about it just wasn't elegant. Um, and I think this lends itself very well to this console where you can pick it up, solve a puzzle or clear a board, whatever you want to, you know, you can look at it as, as that distinctive a play, 
and then put it down and go do something else or play, you know, get your eyes tired in bed or whatever, and then put your switch down and roll over. Um, I'm really excited for this full game to come out. And I think people that have passed on it before, I think this is one worth checking out and I'm glad that it's not coming at 60 bucks. I think totally. that was a dis- a disservice to Tropical Freeze, which launched at 40 on Wii U. And then they added Cranky Kong and you know some other stuff and brought it over to Switch and raised the price. And here with Treasure Tracker, they added some new levels and um, from inspired by um, Odyssey on the Switch version. But they're, I believe, I'm 99% sure it's still coming at that $40 price point. And that that feels right. It's, it's, a, it's a really fun game. Did either of you, Corey, did you check out this demo or have you played it no, on I, Wii U? I totally missed the demo. I'm looking at it now. It's, it is $40. Um, it looks stunning i didn't see this i never i didn't have a wii u i'd actually been away from nintendo for a long time before the switch um so this looks like a ton of fun and i actually wonder if i can get my wife to play this she doesn't play video games but she somehow got 900 power moons in (laughs) super mario odyssey and hey hey she she plays video games yo (laughs) yeah no she doesn't i can't get her to play anything else like she just she played that like crazy got super obsessed with it And, and looking at this and kind of like I'll be like, that's Captain Toad. Do you remember Captain Toad? So, <laughs> so she she could totally be into this, and then I can watch her put totally. it in or something. Totally. Um, to- yeah. oh, I, oh, I get it now. See God. what you did. Um, <laughs> Thanks a lot, Anthony. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else? You, what else have you been playing, Christian? Uh, Mario Tennis Aces. Yeah, baby. I've how is it? Played more of. So I want to say this. I've probably played. 12 uh, versus uh, matches now. And I am currently, you are listening to someone who is defeated, you guys. Uh, 100% <laughs> defeated. <laughs> who was uh, on on the winning side of, of, of most of those? I don't know. I Just some rando. I don't know who rando, it is. Just more some... like rando Calrissian. This guy. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Jeff, I, uh... not a whooping butt. Really liked the game at E3 when I beat Jeff, and um, now I like it. So I, I got the game. I got it from Gamefly, and I hadn't played any of the – I'm justifying now. I hadn't played any of the story or um, tournaments stuff, and Jeff had his, and we sat down and started playing some verses. I, I, I don't I – I got my butt kicked real bad, real bad. Yeah. <laughs> but still well, fun. So let's talk still a little fun. bit about uh, – the butt kicking. No, let's talk a little bit about that. <laughs> <laughs> it was a thing of beauty. Let's just put it that way. No, the, the process uh, that we played, because we didn't sit down in front of a big television and have two controllers. No, no, no. We sat in the same room, each with our own personal switches, each with our own personal copies of Mario Tennis Aces on them, and played that way. Um, and the menu system is real dumb. It's it is confusing, unnecessarily confusing, needlessly confusing. Uh, But once you figure it out, it works really, really well. It's just that first time of going like, oh, we want to play two players, but each of us has to say we're playing one players. Uh, (laughs) Very dumb. But um, but once you kind of figure that out and you can repeat that stupid process over and over, it becomes so enjoyable to each have your own screen playing tennis against one another in the same room. Uh, I found that to be particularly delightful, especially winning so much. (laughs) Yes, you you were dominating. But I think I tweeted out, uh, I think it was on Friday, and this is part of the reason why. I was like, if if in this moment right now I had to pick, I would say Fortnite on Switch is my game of the year. And it was because I've been playing that the same way, where I have a group of friends 
that all have it on their switches and we sit in the same room and play couch co-op on our own devices. And it's such an easy way to do that uh, versus like a LAN party or, and, and just some, something about being in the same room is different than a headset. You know, if we sat down and played Mario tennis online, it'd still be, you'd still win, but it, it's, it's not the same to like look over and, and see Jeff's dumb face smiling. Uh, <laughs> But that the experience of playing on on uh, two devices like that is really cool, and I think you know on a big TV is is fun also because it's split screen. But there is something neat about having your own personal experience, uh, but being able to sit next to somebody still and have that that couch co op experience or, or couch competitive experience. I guess I will say I agree with you now, Jeff. Where the rest of the game, unfortunately. And this is another $60 game that I don't feel like earns its price mm. where t- to me, the tournaments um, seem very easy, uh, way, way too easy. And then the adventure mode just ramps up bizarrely hard for, I, you don't know when or why, like some things, challenges are just ridiculously difficult. Then you'll have two more easy ones. Then there'll be a timer thing that you can't quite do it's it's frustrating. It's it's very frustrating. I don't feel like the solo p- play in Mario Tennis is as good as it could have been. I will go even farther than I went last week, and because I, I turned a corner, I tweeted about this. I turned a corner this week because I played a lot more of the the adventure mode. I think it's bad. I think it is poorly made. I really do. I, I think it's not just challenging. It's challenging for really. Um, arbitrary reasons that have nothing to do with your actual skill. Yes, it, imp- it made me improve how I played the game. So I know a lot of people push back on Twitter uh, to me about that because they're like, well, I actually ha- was forced to learn more parts of the game and get better. And yeah, the proof is in the pudding. I creamed Christian. Uh, but <laughs> but none of that process was fun. The way... I can, I can vouch for that. I heard Jeff swearing. Yeah, yes. <laughs> you don't pay $60 to get frustrated while you learn something. That's why you have a gym membership. Like you pay you pay $60 to have fun. Right. And I Or or you're playing a Souls game, not a Mario well, tennis game. I I have fun in Souls games, but I'm not going to defend that right now. But it, it, it based off of what I've heard from other people and friends that have this and stuff too. I haven't played tennis outside of the demo. But it definitely feels like if this had been a $30 or $40 game that focused way more on the multiplayer, it would be a slam dunk. But it, even even if it had been more like a Souls game, it would have been fun. Like if you were in a <laughs> if you were in a boss fight in, in Dark Souls or Demon Souls or any of them, and the reason you lost No, pick one. Pick one. Which one are we in? <laughs> Dark Souls 2. Dark Souls 2. Okay, the best one. <laughs> if you're in the best Dark Souls game. And the reason you get killed in a boss fight and have to start over is because the little timer ran out. I think you'd be mad. So many more broken controllers than normal for yeah, a size game. Yeah. Right. It, th- that is not a test of skill. Being able to do it before uh, the number hits zero is not a test of skill, in my opinion. That's just th- those kind of arbitrary challenges are never fun in the game, though. Like, right. can you think of any mini mini game that's been timed where you've been like, "Oh, I really, I can't, I can't wait to beat my my time on this one next." Like, that's not a common. No, game. I, I, I've, I've said before on the show that I think you should abolish timers. Uh, if if you if your game needs a timer to add tension, that's a poorly designed game because. Yeah. There should be another way to add tension than a timer, right? I think old school arcade games, there's examples of older games that have handled timers well, I'm I'm certain. But for in this instance, the thing that I find frustrating 
for some of these timer events and I haven't played as many as Jeff has, but it's like, I still feel like there's AI rubber banding or something. It's like, it's not just you all the time. Uh-huh. It's like, I got two seconds left and you're going to hit it over there. It's going to take me a hinge. second. Yeah. Yeah. I have to run over there. That's just not fair. Yeah. <laughs> it's frustrating. Yeah, and, and when the switch is the controller, it's a, that's an expensive $300 <laughs> controller. Yeah. The good news is you don't throw it through a TV, but the bad news is you lose your entire console. <laughs> yeah. And you can't get those save games back. Yeah. Um, well, that's, that's a little bit of a bummer because I was I actually thought the demo was interesting and and I thought I could definitely get into a Mario tennis game. If you ha- the multiplayer yeah, is phenomenal. If you have somebody to play with and or just destroy over and over, um it it's a blast. I mean, play, honestly pl- the the pure mechanics that they've built into how tennis works in the game turning it into basically a fighting game, basically, you know, using your supers countering with a super when they're using a super, like all of those fun things that they've built into the game are a blast. And yes, you learn how to use them in the very frustrating adventure mode, but it's just not fun. It's just not a fun process of learning. Yeah. Anyway, that, that being said, I am glad they included adventure mode, though, because I talked about how ARMS felt a little flat with what its single-player or solo-play campaign and Mario Kart for this, you know, it just has the cups. And I think Mario Tennis easily could have just been multiplayer and the cups, and I think that would have felt a little thin. And also, it were 40 bucks or, you know, whatever, I, it's hard to assign value to things per se for what's worth it for you. But the what... I don't know if they ran out of time. Maybe they were running under a timer because the overworld, like you said, is beautiful, Jeff. There's clearly funny stuff happening with the story where, you know, it's like a a wink and a nod every single time. Like, oh, we can't go in there. Why not? Well, you got to beat me in tennis to go in there. And they're like, we play tennis. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, Everybody is just coincidentally super into tennis. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I hope they don't look at this game or people's reactions to this game. Uh, and scrap future adventure modes in, in these sports games because I think the old school GBA versions of them is still where it shines. So hopefully we can see more of that because I'd love to see you know Nintendo do Golf Story again. I, I like that. Yes, yes. And then my last game is not a Switch game, Jeff. Hopefully that's okay. I guess. But I played a couple of hours of The Crew Two, which is Ubisoft's new open world every type of racer you're in a plane a plane and a boat i said a plane a plane i said plane twice you guys two planes two planes and a boat <laughs> that's one it motorcycle that's the whole game you know it's two planes and a boat that's all you get four more planes <laughs> um it's their open united states map uh cars motorcycles off-road buggies planes um jet skis hydrofoil boats or whatever, the whole everything 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 and as you're traversing the world you can instantly switch. You can be you can be flying above New York City and then swip, swipe on your uh, right thumbstick and turn into your car and have your car drop out of the sky and land on the road and you're off and driving. <laughs> and stuff like that is awesome. Like the open worldedness of it, and I haven't run with like a crew of friends online or anything yet, but the open world of it is really cool and I think where a lot of fun could be had. The presentation is really slick. I really like. Um, like the colors and the, the the rare loading screens you will see loading in and out of events is really cool. The way that they've built a game that allows you to drive across the whole country, but also if you want to just get and do an event, you can just pull up a menu and see all of the events that you have unlocked and just go to them, not even get a waypoint. So it's like, oh, I want to go to this race in New York. Boom, do it. You're in New York, now go race. Oh, you want to do this one back in California? Do it, go ahead. 
or you want to just drive around and drive to it and find speed mark checkpoints and stuff like that, you can do that. Want to fly there? Fly there. Want to take a boat there? Uh, rivers don't go there. Change your car. Uh, but it really is super, super player friendly in terms of letting you do whatever you want, whenever you want in terms of, you know, getting into races, getting out of races, restarting races, just exploring the world. Uh, really, really well done. The things that I think hold it back a little bit are, I think what everyone had expected. It's not the best racer. Um, it's good, probably better than good, but in terms of like the handling of any of the, in, in my, again, couple of hours, but it doesn't compare to like Forza Horizon in terms of track design or, um, vehicle handling and things, things like that, which are important in a racer. But when this game gives you so much else to do, does it really matter? I don't know. Like, I, I almost feel like this game right now, the best parts about it aren't the game. And I think people that liked the other Ubisoft open world, do anything game steep kind of talked the same way about that game, where if you tried to do objectives and cruise through the story or whatever, um, or whatever the progression was of that game, it kind of felt lost. But if you just played it for like a Zen-like experience, it was incredible. Um, and while Steep never connected with me in that way, I could see the crew too doing that, of just like, you want to just go hang out <laughs> and, and, and tour the US. I think it's an incredible way to do it. But so far, the campaign has been a little like, yo, what's up? We're going to take this. We're going to make this legit. <laughs> We're going to be ra- – oh, dude, you're the best racer ever. And now you unlocked a team. They fly planes. Oh, you bet you didn't think we did that. We do that. And I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> Drink another um, Mountain Dew. Right, yeah, yeah. But the uh, it, what Ubisoft does in terms of like presentation and open world games and just the vastness of them and how beautiful they are. And like literally I can be flying above New York in a plane, hit my thumbstick, and then drop as a car and land and drive. It's really really cool to see that and just do it and then do it again and then change to a plane and take off somewhere how does the reverse work your plane like leaps into the air and turns into a, or your car leaps into the air and turns into a plane? <laughs> it's not quite a leap there's like some forced transitions that happen uh but you, you, i mean you're you're literally it's a quick just a quick change um, so two questions for you yeah uh first is what one for each crew on? you get <laughs> yeah right I have two questions about planes. Okay. No. Uh, what, what what system did you play this on? I played it on a regular Xbox and an X. I mean, a, a standard Xbox One and an Xbox One X. Ooh. Oh, was there a difference between the two? The Xbox One X, I'm assuming, looked prettier. You're assuming because you weren't witnessing it. No, I, I didn't have a side by side. It looked real nice. <laughs> you couldn't tell the difference. No, I could. T- I mean, it looked it looked nice. It looked nice. Yeah. Um, and the second question is did you prefer being in any particular mode of transportation? Were there ones where you're like, I don't really want to be in a plane or I don't really feel like being on a boat or were they all equally fun or were they fun in different ways? How, how did, that's the thing that may, I'm most curious about is like, is it basically the same game or is it four different games? I mean, it's basically the same game, right? I mean, it's, it's racing, you know, more right, or less. Sure. Um, I think there are like I gotta, dedicated. I gotta hope there are nuances. Cause like yeah. the steep, it was it was very much the same game, but there were nuances in how each. Yes, yeah, the and there are entire dedicated games to boat racing or or right. plane yeah. racing. You know that that are very different than a average car racing. And game. they all they all handle differently. My favorite was cars because I think that's what I'm used to, and I really love like Forza and the Forza Horizon games and Gran Turismo. I, I have a long affinity for that genre, so that felt comfortable. Planes, I think, could be a lot of fun. I've just 
not great at it yet because it's like pitch and yaw and sure. it's just like that extra access is hard. Yeah. And it, it feel it's more, it's not a sim, but it, it's more engaged than something like pilot wings. Right. So then my first time in the plane, I was, okay, I got a hook left to hit this marker. And I like started to roll and I was like, Oh no, <laughs> this isn't yeah. what I was trying to do. It's, it's like, like the first time you get into a plane in Grand Theft Auto, you're like, Oh, well I'm dead. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say any game that has a helicopter, your first time in it, you're like, I've flown a helicopter in a video game before. Oh, not like this. Not like this. <laughs> yeah. 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 But it's, I, I, I could see it being, I don't think it will review particularly high. I haven't checked. Um, it has, problems the campaign is forced and stilted and people look weird and it's you know kind of bro-y like it's this whole thing too where you're what you're going for is follows which i just it's like i'm old it's like oh sick jump you earned 1200 followers you get those insta likes up is there like a is there like an in-game version of snapchat that everybody's on it's i love games that do this because it's so (laughs) realistic right it's live it's like they're it's like this it's a whole thing it's like we we have oh, these I, races going around and they're filmed everywhere and you're going to be the top of the leader. Uh, you got to rank up and get these followers to like your vids. Oh man. Dude. I hope that service shows up in like watchdogs and like <laughs> Assassin's Creed and, and Far Cry. Like, yeah. But I, I, I want, I want a Ubisoft like shared universe. Corey, please tell me that you played Nino Cooney too. I have not. Oh my God. That game's, faux facebook is hilarious oh i'm into this i'm so <laughs> into this that's what's gonna get me to play a jrpg <laughs> anyway go ahead christian well, honestly, i just don't want to focus on that stuff because well, i think that stuff is cheesy and kind of annoying and the, the campaign races have been probably my least favorite things of the game i don't want to deter people that are maybe curious about checking it out to check it out it's a vast improvement from the first crew and i think there's tons of fun to be had with it especially in the summer months of if you're looking for something to do and you, you enjoy racing games in the Ubisoft open world, the forest, and the environments that they make are beautiful, just stunning. So I think there's a lot of fun to be had in the game, but I think the most fun will be the fun you find yourself or maybe with your crew online. The fun was inside you the whole time. It's Lego Ninjago. I like that. Yeah. Emergent fun play. I love it. <laughs> so my Switch, my, my Switch uh, require, required game, summer required game, is... The new version of Luminous, uh, which I promptly purchased, fifteen bucks. Which is the old version of Luminous? Yeah, yeah, it's basically the old version. Of Lu- I know that there's a new game mode, uh, but and, and it looks, I guess, prettier. But it it looks how I remembered it looking. So you know how your brain messes with you, and you think mm-hmm. everything looked that great all the time, forever used to always look that great. Um, so, but it's fantastic. I mean, it plays great on the Switch, although. I have to admit, I never, I'm too lazy to have actually gone into the options. I just complained about this incessantly uh, rather than actually looking to see if there was an option. But by default, the game doesn't allow you to use the thumbsticks to control your pieces in Luminous. You have to use the, uh, the directional pad. And because of that, uh, I got mad cramping. Uh, on the on the switch uh of course i have the pro controller i could have switched to that but i was playing handheld mode with the, with the <laughs> of course i could have solved it the, i could have solved yeah. it instantly but <laughs> these are all various ways that i'm very stubborn and i'm going to complain about it nonetheless because i didn't have to give up my stubbornness just for comfort and or liking a thing um anyway luminous is fantastic if you've never played luminous or if you're a fan of puzzle games or tetris or any of those kinds of games luminous is awesome and very different it feels very different it's cool uh, rhythm puzzle game where uh, 
you know, pieces are dropping from the top and you have to get them to connect and you have to match colors in order to eliminate lines so that you keep playing. But the, the hook here is that there's a sort of metronome like line that starts at the left-hand side of the screen and moves through the right-hand side of the screen that is paced to the beat. And it doesn't eliminate the lines that you've completed until that, that uh, metronome line crosses them. So you can actually set up these wonderful cascading cool moves uh, by connecting lines and completing lines, but adding stuff on top before they've actually been cleared off the board by that metronome line. It's kind of hard to explain, but in in practice, it's really intuitive and tons of fun and very different feeling than any game like it. It's different than a, you know, than a Dr. Mario or any of the other, you know, myriad Tetris likes that were uh, very common in the nineties. But Lunas is beautiful. It's fun. It's got a great soundtrack. There is a, a lot of emphasis on rumble on the Switch version. Yeah, can you uh, turn that off? Because I, I feel like HD rumble on a would get my hands would get tired. Much. It's too much. It, it, it literally there by the end of. I'm just asking him if he can turn it off. He's never been in the options. I don't. <laughs> I don't go to options. <laughs> I just assume they should know what they should read my mind and do those as default. Machine learning to yeah. figure out what he you just gave the controller to his wife and told her what to do so we wouldn't have to feel the rumble. Like left, left. Left, left. I thought you were being very crude in that in that joke, but I realized you were not intending that. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, the the at the end of a given match of of Lumines, you know, where things are going haywire and fast, and stuff's dropping, and the pace is very fast. You know, it's just like Tetris, where the longer you go, the faster it gets. By the end of that experience, it's just constantly rumbling. It's just like it's just like in my hand. Just nonstop rumbling, which a, it's got to be hurting my battery, man. It's got to be just brutal on my battery, and b, not pleasant, not pleasant. So, um, I think they kind of went overboard on that. I know that that's a big feature of the Switch is the HD rumble, but it didn't really add much to me to the experience. It was more distracting than anything else. No, nevertheless, Luminous is still excellent. I still decided I was going to play it for five minutes and played it for forty-five minutes. You know, that's the kind of game it is where you're just like, oh, this is fun and you get in this zone and it you know it's it's great um so if you've never played luminous i highly recommend the remaster i think it's good fun and uh, on the switch is a great platform to play it on so i just wish the guy who made that would like i don't know like do a take on tetris but in vr wouldn't that be like a dream project (laughs) Mm. Uh, Mm. that would take over six years to make (laughs) yeah yeah well I'm, i'm very excited for that game um I also am not technically allowed to talk about Red Faction Guerrilla, the remastered edition, which... Is that James Marsden? You've already... Yeah, right. You've already won me over by uh, the remastered edition. Um, so it's technically the... It's obnoxious. The embargo is up like two hours after our episode comes out, so I can't technically talk about it. I will talk about it next week. Uh, but... I will say that Red Faction Guerrilla is one of those games that I always bring up as being underappreciated and one of the greats of its time period. And it has been wild to revisit that game, especially in light of the fact that everybody is swinging pickaxes these days in Fortnite. Totally. And uh, Red Faction was like OG pickaxe and I think still does it better. Still does pickaxing better than Fortnite. Um, and I'll talk about that in more in detail next week when I'm able to in full. But um, yeah, I'm enjoying it. 
Oh, so many questions. Yeah. It's, now, I think I think you saying that you couldn't talk about it made me want to talk about it more. <laughs> yeah. It's it's obnoxious because literally like the the embargo is up. Most people listen to our episode after the embargo is up, but I technically yeah. can't talk about it. But um yeah, I was very excited and uh, are you playing on can you say if you're playing on pc or no i'm playing on xbox one x so that's where it feels like to me like having this remastered remastered if you will i will uh, would be good <laughs> i know i know you will i actually i i was about to install red faction gorilla on steam on my pc just a few weeks ago and then remembered that this was coming out and so i'm actually holding off yeah i think you will be glad you held off is all i'll say can you uh, i don't want to you get your trouble with the embargo, but could you say like what out of 10 you'd give it and then give us like a 2000 word <laughs> review? Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's probably a <laughs> fair game. There were a game that was, that was about guerrilla warfare on Mars <laughs> and you had to give it a number of stars. <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, so I'm going to talk about solo, a star Wars story for a while, Jeff. Anyway, out of 10, what would you give that movie? <laughs> me in trouble with the star wars people um, <laughs> so uh i have a well let's let's think our second sponsor we gotta think mac weldon mac weldon you guys know uh mac i'm wearing my mac weldon's right now you know why it's because i was on a plane today i don't ever step foot on a plane without wearing my mac weldon boxer shorts because they're the most comfortable uh underpants i have they are uh the most uh odor free <laughs> they have they're naturally antimicrobial these boxer sort shorts and i love the fact that um i can put these on and feel comfortable and not stress about being you know stinky or gunky or any of those ease but mac weldon sells more than just undergarments they sell basics of all kinds um i know christian you have trunks some sweet mac Weldon trunks that you just got i have some uh, trunks i have a hoodie yeah hoodie i have uh board shorts uh, i actually wore them christian and i are working together on a, a project i wore them into work you saw them you you commented on them shorts I, I shocked i shocked <laughs> you by uh announcing they were mac weldon's yeah yeah and you were like what i, I also mean, got walmart canada shirt. already told me that they were mac weldon so i kind of already knew but yeah Spoiler for E3. Um, I also wore my Mack Weldon polo shirt to E3 and then promptly dropped some uh, goop on it. I literally <laughs> – I was standing in, waiting for the uh, Sony press conference to start, and I picked up one of their delicious hors d'oeuvres that had some goop on it, and it plopped onto my brand-new Mack Weldon polo shirt that I would just gotten, and it was the first time I'd ever worn it. But I love it. It's like – it's red and black striped. It's so, so nice. Mack Weldon, smart designs, premium fabrics, simple shopping. It's great to be able to go online and shop with Mack Weldon. It's so simple. I don't have to worry about going into a store. Gosh, I can literally sit in my Wack Weldons and shop for Mack Weldon. How good is that? Um, better. Right? That's some good stuff. Uh, it's comfortable. It's great. Plus, if you don't like your first pair – you can keep it and they'll still refund you. No questions asked. How cool is that? They're so confident you're going to dig it. You're going to be comfortable. They'll let you keep it and then they'll still refund you if, if you don't like your first pair. That's pretty amazing. And not only does Mack Weldon's underwear, socks, and shirts look good, they perform well too. It's good for working out, going to work, going out on dates, everyday life. It's great. Go to MacWeldon.com. 
That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Get 20% off your first order by using our promo code DLC at checkout. That's MacWeldon.com. Get 20% off your first order with DLC. All right, guys, let's do some, what do you say, quick questions. Remember, all our quick questions are submitted by listeners. That could be you. All you got to do is submit your quick question to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. That's our email address. You can send any kind of comment, question, uh, anything you want to mention to us. Also, interestingly this week, our quick questions usually uh, come from lots of you. This week, all of our quick questions come from one person. Jonathan actually sent a whole bunch of quick questions to us. We're going to do all of Jonathan's all this week. So if you want to be like Jonathan, you can send multiple quick questions or you can just send one, send them to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Let's rock these. Quick question, Corey, mm. what game got you into your favorite genre? Man, I want to have a cool answer for this, but I don't know that I do. I've been looking at this and trying to figure it out. I, my favorite genre is role-playing games. And so I would Same. love to say that Dungeons and Dragons, like playing Dungeons and Dragons with my brother would have been the thing that got me into it. But thinking a little bit more about it, I think my favorite type of RPG is the dungeon crawler. Mm. And there was an old, old game on the Nintendo entertainment system called swords and serpents oh, that I wow. rented. And it's not a good game. I've gone back and replayed it. It's, it's pretty rough, but this was the game that really started the obsession with dungeon crawlers. Wow, I don't even, I've never even heard of Swords and Serpents. It is it is a it's a three pane kind of interface where you've got your little and this is basically like an Interplay was trying to make a Bard's Tale for Nintendo or something like a Bard's Tale for Nintendo, right? Yeah. And so you have you're in some dungeon, so you've got one window that's kind of like showing you all these blue walls that make up the maze that you're in. The second the second little window off to the right has like an auto map very yeah. doom like auto map and then your characters are just text and meters at the bottom of the screen awesome and so uh i th- i think you could play this with like three or four people if you had like the 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 right attachment the the four player multiplayer attachment thing for the nintendo mm-hmm. but i was i was obsessed with this because the artwork wow. is really creepy and weird and the song the chip tune just keeps playing and playing and playing so you get stuck in your head um, it's so funny I, be- Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. I was going to say, it's so funny because uh, the answer that I had prepared for this question was Bard's Tale. Um, that yeah. I mean, my favorite genre is role-playing games, and the game that got me into it was the first Bard's Tale. Uh, I remember it very vividly playing it with my, my friend Patrick, and we would sit in my dad's office on his, his old PCXT uh, and uh, play the Bard's Tale. And it was like, it opened a whole new world. I'd never experienced Dungeons and Dragons or anything like it yeah. at that point. And it just opened a whole world of this kind of thing. And it just blew me away. And then I got into Ultima and Wizardry and Might and Magic and all those games. But uh, the first game to do it was was Bard's Tale. I don't it's, know it's, why. It's I even... like when you, first, it, when you first sit down in front of one of these games, like, a, like I remember when I first played Bard's Tale, it was kind of like, I, I found something that I wasn't supposed to find. Right. Yeah. And it's right. Like, especially if you're playing something like that with a friend, it's kind of like this shared, like almost taboo experience. Like this is more, this is more hardcore than you're ready for kid. You're like, <laughs> oh, we'll totally. See. 
Yeah, we were totally terrified to leave Scarabray, like the first city, town you're in. Yeah. Like we, we were terrified to go down into the sewers because we thought we would just get annihilated. So we just would walk around and have random encounters. And and uh, it just felt like I – don't, I don't know if kids have this these days because genre stuff is so ubiquitous. But it felt like there was an kids entire world. Days. What's that? Kids these kids days. These days. <laughs> uh, it felt like there was an entire world inside the computer. And I, we couldn't believe it. Yeah. Um, anyway. Christian, what game got you into your favorite genre? I don't know if I have a favorite genre. I think right now it's probably third-person action games, most likely. And that genre, I don't – that genre kind of evolved, I think, out of things. I think that genre kind of owes a lot to the old-school, like, arcade brawler, like mm. DMNT and stuff like that, like yeah. as graphics could go behind the back and as they could change. So I don't know if this is one that got me into it, but it certainly cemented my love for it. And that is Soul Reaver, Legacy of Kane, Soul Reaver. I played well, is, that, on... is that before or after Metal Gear Solid, though? So I, I was thinking if that would be if Metal Gear Solid would be my pick, but I don't know. I think Soul Reaver was before. Was it? I think it was after, but I'm not sure. The re- only reason I didn't pick Metal Gear is because that franchise, while I agree that Metal Gear 1 is maybe a third-person action game, that franchise evolved in such a different way outside of those that it's – I, I love Metal Gear. Metal Gear 1, yes. Um, Legacy of Kane, Soul Reaver is a little a little more in line, I think, with like a Tomb Raider and Uncharted now where they're not as intense. Stealth isn't as important. You can kind of just run and gun. You are leveling up a little bit, but it's you know it's more of that arcade romp third-person action adventure game. Um, Metal Gear, yes. I love, love, love Metal Gear always and forever. But in terms of like spinning off my love for The Last of Us, Uncharted, Gears of War, Spider-Man, Arkham, all of that, it seemed like Legacy of Kane was a nice jumping or cementing point. And then the other genre, I'm talking about Crew 2 and my love for racing games. I mean, Daytona USA and Cruisin' USA just rocked my world as a kid. And just that mix of like realistic looking graphics with air quote realistic looking graphics with arcadey handling where you could do awesome drifts and get sick air and just just blew me away as a kid and that that genre sticks with me to this day all right second one quick question what is your favorite character in video games Corey? oh minsk (laughs) minsk from from baldur's gate all right wow all right that's good I, I just I I, I did not think about that one ahead of time, so that was just a gut check. That's great, uh, Christian. What's your favorite character in video games? My gut check says Samus. Oh, that's good. That's a good pull. I am having a very hard time with this. I, I'm sort of realizing that characters aren't what bring me to the yard. You know what I'm saying? That's milkshakes. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite milkshake in a video game? Oh, no, chocolate. No. Wolfenstein. <laughs> Wolfenstein Two. Wolfenstein Two. Strawberry. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that is funny. That is a good milkshake, Wolfenstein too. And that dude, uh, he's going to murder you because he's <laughs> drinking a milkshake. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm really having a hard time with this one. You know, I could say I could say characters, but they aren't. I don't really genuinely love them. I don't know Pac Man. I don't know. I was going to say Gordon Freeman, but that's he's like not a character. He's just a, he's a idea of yeah, he's a cipher exactly. I don't know. I think that's a problem. I don't think there. I love any character. Maybe Lara Croft the, in the new games. Like I guess maybe maybe Nathan Drake. I guess, uh, but I like those games. Protagonists. 
you're, What's you're that? Think, you're, you're, you're thinking about protagonists and like characters mm-hmm. that you play as. Oh, I think it's interesting because the first thing that I thought about was like, what are you know, characters what are the stories and RPGs that I'm not directly in control of? Oh, like, that's who, such a better way tingle. of thinking about it. Yeah, that's such a better way of thinking about it. Oh, uh, what's the name of that the robot detective dude in Fallout Four that can be part of your party? Oh, you I know who you're talking about. I can't think of his name. I'm gonna say him then. This like, was also a great opportunity for you to say Dr. Robotnik or Jim ah, Dr. Robotnik. Come on. What a, how did I drop that botnik? Uh, <laughs> drop the botnik on that one. Anyway, okay. Quick question. What were you most hope? Oh, excuse me. What game were you most hopeful for but turned out to be a disappointment? Oh, come back to me. Let me think on that. Christian? This type of thing, It's this has to be just as of right now, right? Because yeah. this type of th- – answering this type of question is, is very difficult. Um, it changes NBA showtime, which was like <laughs> wow. a spiritual successor to NBA jam back in the day. Yeah. Uh, didn't, it wasn't quite the same. Wasn't, wasn't quite the same. Also to that end, uh, I knew it was going to be garbage fire, but Tony Hawk pro skater five, I was still somehow disappointed in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was so bad. Uh, I might, mine will be a deep pull. Uh, and I'm going to say Ultima nine <laughs> or, oh. Ultima, or Ultima eight, Ultima eight or Ultima nine can both be, uh, well, I liked Ultima eight. It was fine. Again, it, was, it was weird. Yeah. It was definitely strange for the series. Ultima nine is really the disappointment though. Ultima nine is garbage. Ultima nine is, yeah. is garbage, but I guess there was some weird stuff that went on with making that game and it got rushed and all that stuff. But uh, a huge fan of that franchise. Ultima seven is my favorite game of all time. And, uh, yeah. Right but, after Tetris and the other hundred favorite games of all no, time. No, <laughs> There's nothing Tetris. wrong with having lots of favorite games. We need more of this positivity in our lives. Thank you, Corey. For uh, the so guys was, who spent the first half of this podcast poo-pooing video games. We were pooping movies. We were pooping movies. <laughs> Listen, you can, only, you can only have positivity for so long, and I think Sonic <laughs> lore is where I fall off the chain. <laughs> uh, and I will say that um, – uh, what will I say? I don't remember. What did you say right before that? Uh, Final Fantasy Eight, I think, is my disappointment. There you go. That's a that's a good one. Although a lot of people love that one. Uh, well, I think I think it was a disappointment because I wanted it to be more like seven, like yeah. as a kid. And so I've I've never actually gone back and and really seriously tried to play it since. So maybe I'd find a better appreciation for it now. Oh, I, I remember what I was going to say. Uh, Tetris is is not my favorite game of all time. It's objectively the best game of all time. Christian's very different. Very different. Mm. Sorry, go <laughs> yeah, got it. How many stars would that get? <laughs> more or less than uh <laughs> <laughs> remastered um so do we all answer that one yeah. christian did you give her your disappointment game yeah nba showtime all oh, right right uh what game do you think brings people together the most it's interesting hmm. it's an interesting phrasing right we sports recently hmm, not that recently <laughs> But I'm like Ten not looking back. Ago. Not, I mean, not long before that. Uh, but Wii Sports was like, uh, I, mean, I, think, I, I, think... I legit played with my grandma. Oh, yeah. Cards Against Humanity. There's a good one. Good answer. I told my grandma. But, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I told my grandma about some concepts she didn't need to know. Um, I mean, Fortnite seems like it's doing it right now, right? I, I know a bunch of people who are anti-Fortnite and like pro PUBG, which I don't get. I Those think are hipsters. They're, well, hipsters. there's no, I don't know if it's that they're hipsters or they don't like the cartoony art style. It's different combat mechanics. Uh, PUBG like models bullet drop and you know yeah. all that stuff, and a headshot takes you out. In Fortnite, you're drinking slurp to build a shield around you. But they're, I, they're different. 
but I but I honestly believe that there's like room for both of them. I don't know. When I think of a game that brings people together, it's probably a board game. Yeah, no, I I like that. I definitely support that. What game do you think pushes people apart the most? Cards Against Humanity. <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably get you there. Uh, I don't know, like League of Legends. Uh, I think mm. I, I say that only because I think League of Legends League of Legends pushes me away from the people who are good at it. Like I would like to play more, but I, yeah. I I have I wear a lot of weight and guilt around the idea of not holding up my end of the team. So that's probably yeah. not a fair answer because I think it actually MOBAs like that probably bring people together really well. But for me, I feel like an outsider. That's interesting. Christian, do you have a push people apart game? No, there's some answer here about, I mean, yeah, it's, it's one of these like quickly made put on steam and meant to rile people up garbage games, right? Where it's right. like school shoot sim or some, some garbage like that. It's that it's, it's that, um, but do you from, think there's like a mainstream game that, causes people to be pushed apart i mean i'm not very good in this scene but if you i feel like when i read swatting stories more often than not it's call of duty or or counter-strike and those communities while they have some incredible people in them it seems like i see a lot of toxicity around those two games and i think that's unfortunate because it's not the games doing but kind of that competitive nature that has created around them um is pretty divisive yeah, it feels like you could the same game could fit into both these categories, you know, yeah. together yeah. and apart. Um, it says more about the people that play them, perhaps. It's a really interesting question concept here, though, Jonathan. Very well done. Yeah, I, I would love I would love listeners to send in if you guys have better answers than we we have. I, I would love to hear them. Yeah. Uh, okay, what game left you with the most questions, either philosophically or just because the story was so poorly written? Your choice. Bioshock Infinite. Yeah, I was going to say that too. Yeah. Yeah. For both reasons <laughs> that he mentioned. Bioshock Infinite and Bloodborne. Mm. All right. Christian? Those are good picks. Man. Uh... I mean, how many games really leave you with questions in general? That's that's something I would like to see more of. I don't want right. everything answered. Yeah. I mean... <sighs> how about Half-Life 2 Episode 2? <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the best answer that's that, that has, I was, i'm not even gonna answer anymore that's the answer <laughs> all right uh is there any game that made you give up on gaming or that nearly made you give up on gaming? is there any game that nearly made you give up on gaming no no yeah age like me thinking uh, that i yeah. was gonna stop in high yeah. school like i'm done with this now um A game of life made me almost give up on gaming am i right guys no, I, I like I that think, game i i think if anything else like <laughs> It, I, I feel pretty confident at this point. I'm going to be 37 in November. And I feel at this, at this point that like, I'm always going to be a gamer, whether I am actually playing games or not. Hmm. And so I feel like it's really more like my state of mind about it. And like how I gaming has, has changed the way that I approach everything. Right. Yeah. Uh, for better, for worse. And so I don't think I'd ever really give up on gaming, but it, it is definitely getting harder and harder to play games. There's definitely games that made me want to give up on that game, yeah. <laughs> including Mario Tennis Aces recently. <laughs> Even then, like, I can't think of a lot of games. I, I play a lot of, you know, we keep mentioning Dark Souls and, like, really punishing heart, you know, Hollow Knight and punishing games like that. And, like, I'll step away from them for a while and then I'll come right back. Yeah. I can't, I can't think of something that's just, like, 
offended me or frustrated me so much that I've been like, I, I never want to play this again. Cool. Yeah. Me neither. I, I, you know, I'm in it to, I'm in it for life, baby Boom. for better, for worse, as you said. All right. We have a, uh, a bonus VR segment, uh, where I, uh, I interviewed a designer of an upcoming VR game to which I am lending my voice. So listen to that right now. I am joined now by Jay Rosencrantz, one of the founders at Martov and game director on a new VR game that is upcoming called Kiaro and the Elixir of Life. And full disclosure, I am a voice in this game, or maybe more than one. Uh, and uh, I have been very delighted to be uh, working on the project a little bit, lending lending my voice to it. Um, and Jay, welcome to the show. I'm excited to talk about Kiaro and the Elixir of Life. Thanks. It's so cool to be talking to you about it. Yeah, man. Um, I have been playing an early version of the game, uh, which is uh, built for VR. It's a VR, I guess you would call it an adventure game, right? Puzzle solving and, and narrative storytelling. Yeah, um, it is. It is an adventure game. It's like an adventure experience. It's so like I know you've played a lot of VR games and VR experiences. It's so interesting because we've almost had to call it a game, even though we built it. We've been working on it for almost three years. We built it from the ground up for VR. And when you're in that deep trying to you know, do things that haven't been done before, sort of pulling from everything and you're inventing new things. So it's kind of like, it's an experience for sure. And it's certainly got game elements and it's got cinematic elements. And I think along the way, we've made something that it's got, got puzzles and characters and twists in the plot and gives you that feeling of adventure that I think at least the people that I've worked with really wanted to, and when we got the chance to make a game or make an experience in VR, we really wanted to to make somebody feel like they were being transported into another world, having an adventure with characters. Yeah, I mean, it, it is uh, one of the things that I love most about VR right now is that it it feels a bit like everybody's sort of inventing everything, and it's it's like the wild west out there. You know, you're you're on the the cutting edge of figuring it all out and understanding what works and what doesn't, and um, I, I find that to be really exciting and uh, neat, neat to witness. But I imagine creating something in that space is precarious and crazy and exhilarating and fun all at the same time. Um, but you're not, you're not necessarily uh, have always been uh, making games, right? You've made narrative things and and films and, and stuff like that too, right? Right. Yeah. I've been, I started in, in film, like when I was 18, I went to film school and uh, graduated with a film degree and the way we met, met was kind of funny. I mean, my whole backstory is kind of funny. I became a professional internet poker player and in my 20s had a big career in that world and had made a lot of films and uh, animated content. And you were actually the villain in a really popular uh, animated poker series that we made that uh, had a big following. And, and that's how we, we got to know each other. But, it was uh, so fun, by the way, to, to be a part of of that show and and that world. Uh, it was really wild. And yeah, the yeah. micros that's that's still on YouTube for any 
poker fans who might be listening. Um, yeah, that was a super fun project. And, and uh, I was in, living in Austin, Texas. I was making, uh, I was producing a young adult horror film, uh, a series of horror films. We made a short film called Give or Taker that played Fantastic Fest. And during South by Southwest, I kind of wandered into the HBO Game of Thrones pop-up museum and they had like an elevator with a sign VR experience. And there was a huge line. It's kind of like, I have to try this. And uh, I went to the top of the wall in Westeros, the ice wall. And I looked out over Westeros and then I got hit by a flaming arrow and fell to my death. (laughs) And I don't know what your first VR experience was like, but this like blew my mind. And I spent like a whole afternoon just walking around Austin dumbfounded. I couldn't believe that this was a real thing now. And uh, that was probably 2013. And that started me on this odyssey of learning how you could make that and, and talking to other people and, and finding out how, uh, you know, was this going to be our future? Is it really going to change uh, entertainment and storytelling in the way that I thought it might? And that brought me to Montreal and uh, learning on Real Engine and learning how to make games and learning really how to make Chiaro. Uh, from the very beginning, uh, my brother came with me and uh, a partner of mine. We really felt that uh, characters that you care about would be everything in VR and finding ways to connect you with a story has to come through characters that you care about. It's sort of like the fundamental tenet of good storytelling in movies and books and comics and television, everything really for all of time. You have to care. And so how do you care about these characters in VR? And my partner, Martin, who's the creative director, at the time he was really into steam engines and penguins. (laughs) And so out of that came this character, Boca, a steam-powered penguin. And I was thinking a lot about the idea uh, that because we didn't really know at first how to make a VR experience, how to make a VR game that was interactive, we had at first started making little short 360 films and thought that was interesting, but we really knew that because the vibe was coming out and you could reach out and we'd seen some of the early demos, you could reach out and touch the world. We knew that like, you know, if, if we think this is it, this is where the future is going, people are going to want to do that. Like you're going to have hand control some, some way, somehow. So uh, I was thinking a lot, you know, because we have limited resources, we don't at the time, we don't really know how to do this, let's start with one character. Let's start with one relationship, you and this character. Okay, if Boca is this character, like maybe we could do a relationship that we really haven't seen yet in VR. Maybe we could do something like a master-apprentice relationship. And maybe that could help you f- find your way into the world and maybe we could put our own twist on that. So actually very early on, we envisioned the player would come to this magical forest at night. He'd be alone in this world and he'd have Boca's parts in front of him and he'd have to build this machine and bring him to life for a really important reason. And that, from that like little beginning, we you know, have built something really, really epic with several other characters and spins off and becomes this uh, massive quest to find the Fountain of Elixir, which is the source of life for the these types of machines that you can bring to life and never in which is the world 
Yeah, it, it's a uh, it's sort of a fairy tale, but also has you know that sort of steampunk tech thing. And as you mentioned, the uh, the tactile nature of of everything works so well in VR. Just the sort of uh, cobbling together of of these parts and technologies, and physically manipulating everything in the world is such a vital part of of why VR works. It's interesting that you guys intuited that early on before you even had examples to point to where that was the case like it just felt right is that is that the case yeah it was just like okay we need to learn how to throw a thing with the vive controllers we can we like begged oculus and we begged vive we kept sending them like powerpoint presentations and you know <laughs> we, we just it did whatever we could to get them to send us development kits so finally uh adam claff at valve ended up sending us a couple of htc uh the early vive pre's and so we got our hands on that and we're like okay Finally, we now we need to figure out how do you pick up and throw things. So it's like, okay, we can pick up and throw a block into a river and figure out how to make it make a splash sound. Great. And then it was like, okay, we have this character, Boko. What what if you had to repair him? What if you had to build him? Like, what can you do with a character that is a, a robot that allows you to touch him? Okay, you could high five him, maybe. You could pick him up when he's fallen down. And then like thinking about this and talking about it and then trying to prototype it became like our sort of mission. And it really spiraled, everything else really spiraled out of that. It's like, okay, what is this world in which you can do this? You can build a machine and bring it to life. How long have there been these, we call them alive machines. How long have alive machines been in Neverin? And is Boca the only one? Is this a big event for Neverin? Like, are there other forces out there that are really, you know, going to care heavily that you've come and you've done this in the world, like, it, or or is it common? And these conversations every day. I mean, we were in Montreal, like my brother and I, at the start, we're sleeping on futon mattresses in the back of this giant recording studio that we had turned into a VR studio. And the three of us were like, we would wake up at like 8 a.m. and we would just grind Unreal Engine, grind in VR, trying to figure out how to tell this story until like literally midnight when we rewarded ourselves by playing like 15 minutes of Portal. <laughs> that's amazing it's a real passion project uh it's just that's so cool i love the the spirit of that um and I, i'm curious the that discovery process along the way you know um what what have you learned about vr as a storytelling platform i mean i think that's really it sounds like that's where you came to it as as a, a platform to tell a story rather than to create you know some new crazy Twitch gameplay mechanic. It was more about, I feel like this is a wonderful way to feel a connection to these characters. So what have you learned in that process about telling a story in VR where you don't necessarily have control of where the player is looking, et cetera, et cetera? Right. So the, the two biggest things that we've learned and we've tried to apply, um, well, the first before I even say that is just like the canvas for figuring that out is almost unlimited. I think this is going to be something that, you know, 10, 20 years from now is still being innovated on and the the forms of it are still being experimented. And there's going to be such a wide variety of experiences where you're uh, inhabiting worlds with characters that both are human, that you come in the world with or meet through the world, like in something like Journey or AI. Uh, for us, though, one tenet has been that a little bit of interactivity goes a long way to pulling you in. So when you have the ability as a player, let's take like locomotion systems out of it and you're just like in a static scene 
and there's characters and they're in a conflict or they're trying to help each other with something and you just want to look at like the tree or this like piano in the corner, like you uh, really aren't, you need a way that pulls the player in it pulls the participant in uh, or you need to at least acknowledge that they're going to have follow their natural curiosity, right? They might just want to pick up something and throw it if you put it right in front of them. So you kind of have to ex- enter the the scene with that idea. Um, then you add locomotion and Kiara will use teleportation and we're working on hopefully implementing smooth locomotion for those players who want to, you know, have more fine control over the world. Although the teleportation is pretty, uh, has pretty fine controls. Once you let the player in uh, and let them teleport anywhere, there's even a bigger risk that they're going to run over to that piano and try to play it and pay zero attention to the characters. Mm -hmm. So if the scene requires you to give a character something, something simple that like in a traditional video game, you would walk up to a character and push the A button to like take or receive or give them something. Mm -hmm. But in VR is actually you handing them something it actually, and you get a little tactile feedback on the controller from that handing over of an object and that object has importance in the narrative, then you're drawn in a little bit more and it can often make a big difference. The interaction doesn't even have to be that complex. It can be something like a high five or a a slap or, you know, even um, waving a hand. That type of stuff really draws you more deeply. The second thing is just like, you kind of have to make the action in the scene so compelling that you and magnetic that you even though you know some players might look away a majority of players are going to be so invested that they can't help but look like the stuff that's on the screen that you've, you're presenting right there because of the way you've led them through the story because of uh how much they care about the plot or how much they care about what they're doing what their goal is they just really uh are invested in the and they'll watch and i think pacing is really important to, to doling that kind of, kind of stuff out. Like you can't uh, just have an hour of the player just watching characters talk or it's going to get boring. But if they've just played a really exciting adventure sequence, uh, one of our main mechanics that actually your character, Janice is, Janice is the, you know, for those who are interested in who Jeff plays, he's the chief scientist of the alive machines. So he was responsible for a lot of, technology that came out of this research into the elixir of life, which is what brings his race to life. And one of the key mechanics that we invented was something called the Janus knife, which which lets you um, cut portals and traverse the world in a new way. There's a anchor on this knife that you can actually throw through the world and where that anchor lands, that becomes your destination point. You use the knife to cut a hole in the world create a portal and enter it and you arrive at the anchors location. And this allows you uh, to expand your locomotion set where what was previously like lateral teleportation around this big world. Now you can ascend vertically or descend vertically. And it creates a lot of really interesting sequences that you're pulled into. Uh, But in the service of narrative, what it does is it lets us give the player like a blast of adrenaline, a blast of excitement uh, solve a couple of puzzles, maneuver using your body, traverse the world using portals. And then, hey, we want to show like a two minute scene that's integral to the story. We've kind of earned a little bit of goodwill where we've seen with playtesters, they're 
much more apt to like watch what's happening in front of them. Right. It's awesome. I, I love hearing you talk about the, the, you know, the nuts and bolts of, of how it fits together. And what you said about, um, you know, the, the fact that in 10 years we'll still be sort of innovating in this space. I think that resonates as well. I, I think about it in terms of how, you know, if you took any average action sequence from any a- average film that's in theaters right now and showed it to people 20, 30 years ago, they'd be like, whoa, I can't even, <laughs> there's so many cuts. It's so fast. There's so many weird angles. It, it just, it's, I don't even understand what's happening because we evolve. The audience evolves. The filmmaking techniques evolve. Everything continues to be iterated on. And so you get, you know, crazier and crazier things, more and more um, departure from the norms. And I think that's going to be the case with VR as well. I mean, people look at it and it, it, it seems uh, it's so it's such early days and it's already so, such a magical experience. I can only imagine in 10 years how these systems will be expressed through that medium. It's, it's really exciting to me. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, we're, we're sort of looking at it in, in the long run and, and hoping that what we're doing now can inspire some other people, give them ideas, just like some of the games that we played in the early days of VR. And I mean, we play games constantly now um, and, and watch 360 experiences. Uh, I remember actually when we were first trying to figure out what these norms would be, we thought, oh, you could never cut in VR because you are the camera. So you can never like make cuts. And then even if you did, you'd have to make maybe make like one per experience. You couldn't do them rapidly. Then I watched like a 30 minute uh, VR documentary about the NBA finals two years ago that Oculus made. And they were cutting like many, many times per minute, like very frequently. And you're kind of at first pretty jarred, but then you get very used to it in the flow of that experience. And I think these kinds of things you're going to see more and more like the audience is going to get used to what a shot is in VR, what a movement is VR, what is acceptable, what is because you're used to something, what, what can you do to uh, expand on that? And, you know, with Chiaro in a, a microcosm of that, it's sort of like we've really thought about building this game where a player could come in, they could start at the beginning of the, of the story with never having played VR before. This could be your first entry point to VR. And you just got your Oculus, great, play play Kiara first. And by the end of like, the experience could take you three to five hours, it's got 12 chapters. By the end of it, you, you're doing all these very advanced VR movements. You've gotten very used to the rhythm of our game and you're like dodging uh, flaming salamanders or spitting these dangerous fire breath out of their body. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's because you've kind of, started gradually and and learn to to crawl and then and then to run what is the the challenge of um creating something in vr as far as expressing it to potential players i mean advertising your game getting people to understand what the experience is going to be like when so much of what a, a vr game is about is being inside it you know it's hard to show a, a screenshot and have it capture what it's what it's like to be inside that world have you thought about that is that is that something you guys are i mean the game isn't out yet so you're kind of i'm sure approaching that challenge yeah it's it's super challenging i mean it's almost as challenging as actually making the game um what we're doing uh is so we started a kickstarter campaign to get awareness of from players who have uh, vibes and 
Oculus Rifts and you can pre-order the game. But we're also releasing a free demo at the end of this week where you can actually you know download it and you can try the first two chapters of the game. So it's a it's a slow burn. It's going to introduce you to the world, to Boko. You'll get to meet Scoria. You'll get to meet Janice. You'll hear your voice. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And uh, you'll try out some of the mechanics. You can build Boca, bring them to life. You can play a game of catch, which is really simple, but really awesome in VR when you're playing catch with a, with a robot and he's, re- he's diving acrobatically to get the ball. That's, it's, it's simple, but pretty mind-blowing. Um, but we found that like, that really is the best way. We're, we've got a really epic launch trailer coming out, but it's, it's 2D and it's really exciting. It, it conveys the the scope of the world and the scope of the the story. And it shows off the gameplay uh, as much as we possibly can, as well as the characters. But uh, I don't really think that you can effectively market without trying it. And some of the best stuff that I've seen, at least in the VR world that does a really good job of marketing is really labor intensive to do, but it's the mixed reality stuff, yeah. which if like you've seen Beat Saber, that went so much of their, uh, gameplay sessions went viral because you could see people swinging these lightsabers and, in rhythm and to the music and you would immediately get it. It was like very uh, easy to do. Unfortunately, it's super difficult right now to set up a mixed reality uh, situation, especially for like indie teams. So, you know, we've got, we're up to 11. Uh, I think Kiara for the most, uh, most of its development has been about six or seven people and our, you know, our sound designer, my brother, he is also the guy who's cutting the trailer. He's also playing cello on the score. Then it's like on top of that, he's trying to figure out how do we do mixed reality, <laughs> also doing sound on the game. It's like, you know, you kind of have to try everything. But um, yeah, I mean, that that to me is kind of trying it is is the purest form and um getting in front of people who have VR headsets and are want to try is a challenge as well, because I think a lot of people might've bought riffs and bought vibes when they first came out. But then like after the first immediate, you know, sort of novelty appeal wore off, they might not play them as much as they play like their switch or their PC games. And so, but they, if they knew about our game, that might've been something that fulfilled the promise of what VR could be for them. So it's, it's about reaching out to them and trying to get as much attention as possible. Well, hopefully listeners of DLC will give it a shot. Uh, I I hope that my voice has uh, (laughs) improved the game and, uh, you know, lended at least some, uh, some association for, for listeners of this show. Uh, If you have a, a, a headset, tell people where they can get the demo and how they can find out more about Kiaro and the Elixir of Life. Sure. So the best place I would say is to follow us on Twitter at Martovco and you'll find the link to the Kickstarter in our profile and it's M-A-R-T-O-V co, C-O. And, uh, or you could tweet at me at Jay Rosencrantz on Twitter. And I would love to just talk to anybody out there who's interested about VR, you know, uh, about any, any of this and, uh, get get you guys in our game hearing jeff's voice it is it is legitimately amazing seriously like, <laughs> thanks man uh, it, was a, it was a trip for me to to boot the game up and and like you hear me right away and i was like oh this is, this is rad i'm into it so yeah yeah i dig it 
thank you. Thank you for, for helping us with that and contributing your talents to, uh, to this, this crazy thing that we put together. Well, it's my pleasure. I think the game is awesome. And I love the passion that you and your brother and the team have put into it. And you can, you can feel it, you know, you can feel it in the game. Uh, so I hope people give it a shot and I wish you the best of luck with Kiara in the, in the elixir of life. Thank you. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Corey for being here. Corey, you're the best. I appreciate Aww. you jumping in here. Uh, holiday week holiday weekend and uh, you're here sunday night i appreciate it thank you so oh, it's much. a blast thanks so much for having me it, i love hopping on the show with you guys and catching up and getting the different perspectives thank you so much for having me and where can people uh, follow you and keep up with what you're doing uh gamers with jobs is the best place although boy i need to get on the podcast and write on the site a lot more uh you can follow me on twitter at demiurge but it's pretty boring unless you like pictures of my cat uh, hey. Go to gamerswithjobs.com. Listen to the Gamers with Jobs conference call, which is out every Wednesday. We have been doing this for, I think, 13 years, and Ugh. Sean Andrich refuses to miss an episode. So, wow. yeah, please check in. Uh, maybe we can get Christian and and and, and Jeff on the show. We yeah, man. I've been on before. Crossover. We can get one of them to pretend to be Dr. Robotnik. It'll be great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be Jim Carrey as Dr. Robotnik. I'd pay really good money to see that, Jeff. Really <laughs> uh, yes, one of my favorite uh, favorite shows and favorite sites and favorite people. Uh, definitely visit Gamers with Jobs as soon as possible, as often as possible. Christian, what do you got going on this week? Well, I'm launching a new site, uh, Jobs with Gamers, and um, it's, it's just about, about time. People who sneak their switches into the bathroom with them at work. (laughs) I have a few people I can send your way, Christian. It's it's unfortunate, but I do. Where productivity Uh, goes to die. (laughs) Um, You can go to Cotton Bureau and search for Play Games Be Nice to get that shirt. It's up, I think, for just another week, and then it goes away. And it is awesome. All the proceeds go to St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. So look good, feel good, perfect shirt for summer. Go and check that out. I love the, I don't know, I think maybe there's been like 40 sold, something like that as of right now. Let's make it 100. That'd be cool. That'd be fun. That'd be nice. Um, Then you can find me on Twitter at Spicer, Instagram, Christian underscore Spicer. And then a parenting podcast I do called Department of Parenting. You can find links to all of that at departmentofparenting.com. And then... I don't think we're going to talk to secret stuff is happening and out, but not like full press release out, but you'll be hearing more about that soon. Right, Jeff? I guess. I don't know. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You can follow me on, on Twitter at Jeff Canada with two N's and one T uh, and Christian and I are both tweeting out uh, secret stuff links of uh, a thing that we're kind of doing, I guess. I don't know. Uh, We're doing it. We're definitely doing it. You can watch it, I guess. (laughs) And I love it. And I, yeah, I, we I really legit love it, it yeah. and I'm very proud of it. Uh, and this, this week, if you, if you watch it, you'll see uh, Christian and I together in ways you never thought we would be, I think. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. Also, I'm doing fewer things in a weird way. I, we Have Concerns ended or is ending this week. Um, it was Congratulations, gonna, uh, by the way. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, it, it, 600 episodes we did. And I'm very proud of it. Yeah. Sad to see it end and uh, – but, you know, now you'll have one less plug from me at the end of this show. <laughs> uh, I do have the Slash Filmcast still going strong. You can listen to that over at SlashFilmcast.com. I think we're talking 
we have an odd episode this week. We're doing a retrospective on the entire um, Mission Impossible franchise because they all just came out on Blu-ray. So we're going to talk about five Mission Impossible movies to get ready for the sixth when it hits theaters. So check that out over at SlashFilmCast.com. Guys, we have a parting gift. we got to leave people with something to get them through their week. So let's do that right now. Corey, do you have a suggestion how people get through their week? I shotgunned all of Glow Season 2 on Netflix yesterday. Mm. And uh, it's really... I'm kind of I'm kind of new to wrestling as a fandom. It's only been in the past three years or so that I've been really into it, but I've been really, really into it. And seeing yes. that mixed with the story of women in the 80s on this show has just been really, really, really enjoyable. Uh, it's only like 30-minute episodes too, so it's, it's pretty easy to, to pick up and, and put down if you need to. But really, really great season. It's not, it, it's not a perfect season of a Netflix show, but it gets the job done, and it's a lot of great entertainment. That's Glow, and it's available on Netflix. Christian, how about you? You got a parting gift? Yeah, an album. Uh, the new album is not, I mean, a couple weeks old now, but uh, Five Seconds of Summer. Maybe it's even older than that. They were a young, up-and-coming pop-punk kids out of Australia. They took two years off, and they came back with a strictly pop album, Um Speculation is, you know, pop punk can't live forever. They're still very young, but they're trying to find a new sound or something that can last them longer. And uh, while I miss their pop, their take on pop punk, the album certainly has some great, you know, classic pop earworms that will stay with you all day, whether you want want them to or not. But I'm really enjoying it. It's, uh, you know, it makes me feel both old and young again. <laughs> I'm like, they took two years off. And got back into the music, and they're still oh god, they're only twenty two. Okay, uh, <laughs> but it's uh, the out the band is Five Seconds of Summer. You can find it uh, everywhere. Five Seconds of Summer, just enough time to pull out your switch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, we have a listener suggested parting gift. Uh, this was sent into us at dlcfeedback at gmail dot com, where you can send in your suggestions for a parting gift. This comes from somebody who identifies themselves only as. Blue Duck Gold Duck. That's what Blue Duck Gold Duck sent in, uh, saying, I would like to recommend listening to Mike Shinoda's new album, Post Traumatic. It highlights the struggles he went through after losing Chester Bennington. If you have ever lost someone to suicide and don't know how to describe how it feels, then listen to Mike's words and know you aren't alone. Wow, powerful stuff. I have not heard this. Christian, are you familiar with Post Traumatic? I have seen billboards for it, but I have not listened to it. Well, high praise from Blue Duck, Gold Duck. It sounds like a powerful album. Um, my suggestion for a parting gift is also quite powerful. It's on Netflix. It's called Nanette, uh, which is a title that bears no relevance on what it's actually about. It's a stand-up, an hour stand-up special uh, by Hannah Gadsby, who is in a stand-up out of Australia, who I was not familiar with. Evidently, she's been working in the industry for a long time, 10 years or so. And this is quite something. Um, I recommend you guys just go and watch it It, and, and give it, give it, watch all the way through. I think after a certain point, you will not be able to stop, but it might take a little while to warm up to it. Uh, She has a unique sort of understated delivery that, you know, isn't in your face, but at a certain point she does get in your face. It is, um, a powerful, powerful 
truth to power, using comedy, really uh, sort of the end of comedy, using this, the idea of comedy in a way that I've never seen anybody quite use it to uh, say some really important things at this particular moment in time in this particular world we live in. And I think it's vital watching. Uh, it makes me sad that the people who most should watch it probably never will. But I hope you who is listening, you dear listener, will give it a shot. Nanette, just push play, reserve an hour, and uh, be moved. So that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Corey Banks and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to our musical contributors. I didn't say that word very well. Contributors. Patrick L, Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for making those cool bumpers. Thanks to all the folks hanging out in the chat rooms, making the show better in real time. And thanks to all of you who download our show. We greatly appreciate it. You are the wind beneath our wings. I'll just say it. I'll just say it's summertime. I don't even care. We'll be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.